but I need it right away. Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I am calling the meeting to order, please. <laughs> Clerk of the board, could we please have the roll call? Yes. <laughs> Trustee Lawrence? Yes, I'm here. <laughs> Trustee DeVries? Here. Trustee Hernandez? Here. Trustee Banerjee? Here. Trustee Jensen? Here. Trustee Thompson? Here. Trustee Zorinthian? Here. We have a quorum. And Trustee Charlin is excused. Absent. Right. Thank you. Okay. Um, do we have any? I have one public comment. Um, Mr. Rose, would you like to come forward? Joe. Good to see you again, sir. Good afternoon. Good to see you again as well. And Board of Trustees. I uh, just want to make a couple of comments about uh, some programs that were uh, approved by the Board of Supervisors in uh, February 2014, and they were billed as alternatives to the uh, AOT program. So what is called? AOT? Uh, assisted outpatient treatments, right. So I like to look at those programs not as alternatives to uh, the uh, AOT programs, but actually supporting those. And I gave you a handout in terms of how they were funded. And there's a, there's 10 of them that were funded, actually. So if you look at that, that was uh, two and a half years ago that that started. And uh, number five is still not funded and implemented by Behavioral Health Care Services. And only number four is specific to hospitalizations, although AB 1421 was supposed to be addressing both hospitalizations and incarcerations. And only number four has a specific project uh, decrease in projected for rehospitalizations of 67%. Actually, it was a little better than 70%, but we'll go ahead and take the lower number. And, and what is not mentioned is the ROI on that. And we had a return on investment close to 350% uh, on uh, item number four. And so for the remaining programs, hospitalizations and incarceration seem to be commingled. If commingled, how can we determine the efficacy of these programs? Reporting from all but number four seems to be from the provider services not the receiver of services. The results could be uh, disputed when you report that way. I suggest that we determine the efficacy of each of the programs, then assuming uh, the current total allocation of fixed funds be shifted to the most productive programs. As you can see, there's a total of over $13 million allocated to all of those programs. And so I don't think that, I think that we should be looking at those and uh, shifting the allocations to the ones that are most effective. So the issues in the current contract that uh, behavior, that, that NAMI Alameda County has with number four is, uh, behavioral health care is not, not addressing the total bed availability at John George. What they are doing is they're limiting it to the um, private payers are not being considered and not being a part of the program. As I mentioned earlier, we had a contract with uh, a grant from uh, Kaiser Permanente, which filled that, uh, that gap. But private payers 
uh, occupy about 7% of the uh, beds in, um, at John George. But let me take that to a, uh, an absurd situation. Assume that 100% of the beds are taken by payers. Then what happens to the uh, safety net population? So the thing is, I think that what we should be looking at is not reducing or, or providing contract services just for the uh, people within the, in the safety net, but reducing the need for beds totally. The, the focus should be on total beds no matter where the funding is coming from, private payers or, or otherwise. So that's where I would like to take this issue as we move forward into this next fiscal year. So um, just want to let you know where things were from my perspective. And as, uh, as we report out, or the hospital actually reports out on the efficacy of the mentor on discharge program in, in July, uh, we'll probably bring those numbers back to you as soon as we get them. Th okay, thank, thank you Thank you, much. Mr. Rose. I know you gave this to the county as well. So I thank you so much. Oh, yes, uh, we, uh, I did uh, do this presentation with the uh, um, Health, Committee. Health Committee. Yes. Thank you. Time. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. And now to a very favorite part for the board, uh, employee recognition. And so, uh, which one of you are first, John? Oh, excuse me, John. I uh, someone just gave me this. I beg your pardon. Uh, we have another individual for public comment. Um, his name Arnold. Do you have a last name? Really I'm sorry. Really okay. Thank you. Hello. Many of you have seen me up here before. And some of you, I've seen you at Park Bridge when you come to visit. And I thank you for that. But I want to tell you a couple of stories. One was, it was one night after 1 o'clock. And I was twisted in my bed. And I couldn't get myself straight down. And I, my neck was crooked, and, and it hurt. So I pushed the call line. And about 45 minutes later, a, the charge nurse walked in and said, uh, you need something? I said, well, yeah, I, I need to be straightened out here. I, I need to be repositioned. She said, well, tell you what, I'll, I'll send in a CNA. So about an hour and 15 minutes later, the CNA comes in and says, you need something? And I wanted to say, well, I was told that if I push this button, pretty girls would come in here. <laughs> Have you seen any? That I did. I, I told them what I needed to have done. And the, the point of this is that these were both two people from the registry. And uh, I want to say that since I've been in here and talked with you, and I know that it wasn't me that changed the whole thing, but it, I think it helped a little bit. And I have not heard the nurses and the CNAs and stuff grumbling, muttering, complaining under their breath and stuff like that lately because they were 
the rupee was up to where it should have been. And I, I want to say that I've been shown, one time I saw this sign that said, what if you woke up this morning with only the things that you thank God for last night? And uh, so that's one of the things that I need to remember all the time. And I want to thank you for raising the pay. You know, if you've noticed, I'm going to have to move around here a little bit, or I will just as I leave. But I've got my science on, and, and I advocate for a lot of things. Not only for Alameda Health Systems, I also advocate for visitability uh, in Alameda. I advocate for the shuttle and, and things like that that happen. But uh, I want to thank, thank all of you for what you have done for us. And uh, it, it's very helpful. And I remember, too, that one of the people at Park Bridge one day told me, said, you know, I got this, and I'm not going to tell you what it was, but it, I got this item for you guys here. And not one of you thanked me. Not one of you thanked me. And I felt about this low. That's why I came in here and I said, I've got to come in and thank them all for what they've done. Thank you very much. Arnold, thank you for participating in the democratic process. Thank you. We appreciate it. I wore these out in San Leandro, and that's where I was today. That's as warm as I want to get. And, uh, but I had them on. I wear them on the AC Transit, on the BART, and everything. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you. It's nice to have a good public relations man out there for us. Thank you. Mr. Chapman. We have a large group today. I couldn't think of a, a better time to present recognition for these two individuals that I'll present. The first person I'd like to call up is Shirley Kahn, who many of you know uh, has been here for, I think, let's see, what is it, 17 years now, Shirley? Did I get it right? Okay. As our, one of our uh, lead clinical pharmacists. And we're recognizing her today. Shirley is described as instrumental in preventing uh, the many nationwide drug shortages from impacting our patients and our providers. For many years, she has maintained a monthly medication shortage list uh, that is sent out. She coordinates the work in our sterile compounding room and the entire hazardous drugs prepared for our hemonc division. She has taken personal responsibility for this uh, endeavor and frequently coordinates environmental services, engineering, and our uh, site visits from our, our, our safety officers. In the recent past, she was the Board of Pharmacy, designated pharmacist in charge. That's a big title. I like that. For the Highland Inpatient Pharmacy and coordinated all controlled substances and led the investigation of possible diversion issues. For the past several years, uh, she has provided her insights, opinions, and knowledge to our excellent pharmacy management team. She's been instrumental in our improved accountability, alignment, and teamwork. 
Shirley is well liked and deeply respected by possibly all here at Highland uh, with her knowledge, her gentle manner, and focus on work and deep dedication to patient care. Join me in thanking her for her hard work. The next person I'd like to uh, present a recognition to is Sharon Enquist. And I'm going to get your title right, I hope, here. Uh, it, clinical Integration and... Manager of uh, Clinical Systems and Integration. Well, that's right. I knew I was going to blow that one. But more importantly, she has a new title. She's a retiree. <laughs> Shirley has been working here for 35 years, mm -hmm. wow. so well-deserved retirement and uh, belated acknowledgement. So in projects and initiatives that uh, I've personally been involved in over the past few years, she's been instrumental in driving IT tasks to successful conclusion and meeting our deadlines. Just recently, she was the primary IT lead for the build required to open up our new cardiac observation unit. There were several unexpected obstacles, like you expect in a project, yet Sharon always had an answer to overcome them. While others frequently warned we would not meet our go-live date, Sharon confidently would state, this is not a risk, we will be ready. I didn't realize under her breath she was saying, because I need to retire on time. <laughs> Each and every email provided the actions that were pending and the date they would be completed. She has saved me and countless others much anxiety and anguish with her professional demeanor and can-do attitude. She is deserving of this recognition and much more. She has been an outstanding star for AHS for a number of years. Thank you. Just waiting for all the applause to stop there. So good up, Sharon. Good afternoon, trustees. Uh, I'm James Jackson. I'm the Chief Administrative Officer for Alameda and San Leandro Hospitals. And um, I have the great pleasure of honoring uh, four people today, but only two write-ups, so I'll be, I'll be relatively brief. Uh, I'd like to ask Joellen Palshus to, to join me. And while she's coming up, I will share with you that, um, you know, everybody says healthcare is a small world, and this is one of example 4007 because Joellen and I, as well as her husband, um, Patrick, who's here, um, worked together at Children's Hospital uh, about 20 years ago. And so it's, it was fantastic to go to Alameda and to see Joellen again and to be able to reconnect with, with Patrick, or Cannon as I call him, because he was an amazing softball player. Um, so Joellen was nominated. She is the administrative assistant at Alameda Hospital. And she was nominated by Kristen Thorson, who is also here this evening. And I will share Kristen's uh, comments. Joellen, among many other responsibilities, works with the decedents, families, and mortuaries when a patient dies. When a loved one passes away, it is a very difficult time for the family. A few weeks ago, a patient had passed away, and the family came to take care of the necessary paperwork. They arrived in the lobby, and the operator called and asked if Joellen could come down and speak with them. Joellen went to the lobby, and when she got there, the family member was overcome with grief and began to cry. Joellen immediately put her arms out and began to hug the family member. Staff in the lobby were truly amazed at the care and true compassion that Joellen provided to that family member. 
They said they almost started crying at what they witnessed. I've also witnessed on many occasions her amazing ability to talk to families during this difficult time and provide them with much needed emotional support while following the process. She goes above and beyond in ensuring the patient is taken care of and to ensure that the family is at peace when they leave the hospital. On occasion, I see her shed a tear after the families have left, but during the time that they are there, she is with them and she's with them. She is solid as a rock. She exhibits the same care and compassion for the patients who do not have family. She does this on top of everything else she does for the director of nursing, administration, and the nursing department, often having to switch gears quickly and never letting it show to the families. Each loss is different, and she always finds a way to comfort, calm, and care for the families. So for that, we say thank you. She always one-ups me. I never get... It's amazing. Next, I would like to ask Vinit Vilash, Veronica Rios, and Jaris Samoy to, to join me. These three individuals work in the pharmacy at San Leandro Hospital, and I'd like to share a story with you that Yi Chi Ping, uh, uh, their supervisor, shared with me. Hospitals across the country have been encountering significant drug shortages. <coughs> medications on the shortage list include numerous cancer medications as well as common medications such as electrolytes or fluids. Hospitals have been scrambling to continue to provide outstanding patient care despite these medication supply challenges. It is imperative that hospitals proactively prepare for alternative drug solutions to ensure patient safety and avoid dramatic increased pharmaceutical supply costs. At San Leandro Hospital, our pharmacy buyer, Jarrah Samoy, this gentleman here, and warrior fan number one, um, <laughs> has been diligently monitoring and updating current US drug our, the current U.S. drug shortage list and ensuring that we maintain a sufficient supply for our hospital. Our pharmacy technicians, Vinette Vilash and Veronica Rios, frequently refill the automated dispensing cabinets and perform IV rounds, and they inform the pharmacy leaders as soon as they identify medications that are running low, below the par levels to allow pharmacy leaders to have sufficient time to perform research and find possible alternatives to inform hospital staff and to keep up with the demand. Through this outstanding teamwork, San Leandro Hospital is able to maintain our exacting quality of patient care without interruption. And I will tell you that we have huddles five days a week every morning, and pharmacy is one of the first things that we talk about. And it's amazing how these folks are able to work magic to make sure that we have the right doses and they're available in the, the AccuDose drawers to make sure the staff have what they need when they're providing excellent care. So for that, we recognize all of you. And uh, Ms. Veronica, that's for you. And uh, my friend Jarvis, there's yours. Go Warriors. And uh, this is yours. Great. Thank you very much. Good evening, uh, Trustee Lawrence, uh, board members, executives. 
very pleased to be here. Uh, with humility, I, I will say that I've broken my glasses, but I'm far too pragmatic to be vain. <laughs> so if you don't mind, <laughs> just don't post this on YouTube. <laughs> Um, I'm very pleased to uh, present two stellar employees, and I, I'm very pleased actually at the write-up. So I, I think they're very engaging, which is again why I surpassed anything ar around vanity and want to make sure I read this well. So can I have uh, Raymond Espinoza please join me? And I think his manager is there. Please come up to provide support. This is Rose Zhang. Mr. Raymond Espinoza is a stellar example of a nurse colleague, an integral part of Unit B's team. This is on the inpatient unit at John George. Raymond is not only a great team player, but an excellent patient advocate. He's always doing what is right by the patient and considers it to be his responsibility to deliver this care with genuine focus on patient needs that go beyond just simple psychiatric hospitalization. Mr. Espinoza goes beyond anything that is clinically indicated just to make their recovery that much more therapeutic and individualized. He serves as a mentor to new staff and does whatever he can do to make them feel welcomed and at home. Ray is both outspoken and a good communicator who always brings matters to the attention to management to make sure that we drive patient care improvement. He's willing to step in at a moment's notice and work with the charge nurse and serve in that role when needed and doesn't hesitate to volunteer to initiate improvement projects. Whenever Ray is working, his colleagues have stated that they have peace of mind as they know that they can count on him. A particular example that I wanted to share, again, speaks to his humility um, and his just willingness to just be a part of the patient's process, not a just um, a proper care. As many would expect, John George and patient unit consists of, uh, uh, requires that all team members remain engaged and active in patient care. They must be attentive to patients, vigilant with their surroundings, and deliver quality care, and we know that. Besides the medications they provide, their very action, interactions are critical to patients' recovery process and often have to be deliberate and well thought out. On a daily basis, nurses are required to support their patients directly and considered a variety of medication supports. I caught that with my right hand and kept going. Treatment, coordination, and everything else is critical, and we know that. On one particular PM shift on Unit B, the acuity and influx of psychiatric patients was considerably high. And again, just pair that with what we know that the patient care requires. There were several open beds, meaning several admissions were happening at once, and each were requiring comprehensive support, nursing services, and orientation to the unit. Although John George and patient units work together as a team, nurses, they must also focus on their own patients, both to ensure that their patient's psychiatric needs are met and that, that they and the patient remain safe. But his patients had already been stabilized and he could have taken the opportunity to chart or perform any other activities that he did in the brief interim. However, his focus was centered on the needs of his team. And on this day, all because he wanted to ensure that the patient didn't have to wait and a desire to make certain that his colleague knew that her patient was not impacted by the unit, Ray jumped in and assisted the patient with this transition from PES to their unit. Because of his actions and ability to artfully support his colleague and the patient, he received the face-to-face -face report from PES, initiated the admission, transitioned the patient to the safety to his room, all without having been asked and unbeknownst to his colleague, and simply because he valued the patient's experience far and beyond the call of duty, and in that moment in our joint commitment to providing quality care. This is something that we all aspire to do on the unit and something that Ray does humbly and on a daily basis. 
For this and many other reasons, Rose, who has provided this great um, <coughs> description of your work and others, nominate you for this Board of Trustees recognition. Thank you. Thank you. And finally, I'd like to honor uh, Ms. Emily Smiley, who is an occupational therapist. And her manager, I think, Carrie, if she's here. She has appeared. Again, uh, full, full disclosure, this is, this is very much reads as though it's a TV movie, but this is a true story. So, with that being said. Several weeks ago, a man was rescued by a local fire department as he was found drifting in a boat in Alameda County. Although he was physically stable, he was experiencing a number of issues and was transported to John George for support. For several days, his team provided him with behavioral health treatment and care and attempted to ascertain where he had been living and how best to refer him to resources within the community. Although he provided several accounts of his identity and the issues that led to him being found adrift, his statements were inconsistent and didn't seem plausible, making it difficult for the, to understand history of mental illness, how the team could provide for him, and who he was and how he came to Alameda County. After a few days, occupational therapist Emily Smiley took it upon herself and actually saw a newscast on TV asking for the public's assistance in finding a man, a California man, who had been reported missing by his family. She instantly noticed that the face looked familiar, but the name she, didn't knew, she knew didn't match. When she returned to work, she consulted with the treatment team about this individual and showed them a picture which she had taken from the television broadcast. Immediately, it was clear that the patient and this individual were one and the same and that he had been reported missing several days earlier by his family. <coughs> Through consultations with her team, she personally engaged in a number of activities that including connected with the patient, clearly soliciting his consent, contacting the authorities, and helping him to reunite with his family. The authorities came to John George and positively identified this individual was the person that was missing. The patient's family was quickly notified and their son was safe and uninjured and they were thrilled and overjoyed at this positive turn of events. Thanks to the keen eye of Emily, her desire to support her patient and sense of, I see your tears, come closer. <laughs> I'm a clinician, though. <laughs> and since a personal civic duty, the patient and the family were successfully reunited. You deserve this. If this personal story were not momentous enough, Emily was eventually personally contacted by the family and offered a monetary reward for leading detectives to his safe return. Considering it to simply be an act of kindness and support for her community, Emily gently refused and responded to the mother saying, knowing that you're going to have a nice Mother's Day is my greatest reward. So John George and the Department of Occupational Therapy are most fortunate to have such a committed, patient-centered, and skilled employee. Her efforts were literally have changed the life of an individual in need. With this, I would like to formally present uh, Ms. Smiley with this award in recognition. Our pleasure to recognize Jody Copeland, and I ask her to join. This is joint recognition with uh, myself and 
Ishwari Binkaruman, who's our <clears throat> Vice President for Business Planning and Strategy, and Jody is our Director of Finance. Let me read the, uh, this to you. Uh, it's our pleasure to recognize Jody Copeland today. Jody is our Director of Finance at HS and has been with the organization for 18 years, providing loyal stewardship our, of our finances in a variety of roles. Um, <clears throat> among her many contributions uh, is the budget process, which is very involved. It's long, it has a lot of demands, a lot of attention to detail, uh, and she has to put up with a lot of uh, grief from a lot of people, not the least of which is me. Um, but um, through this, she has, um, uh, in addition to doing the budget, she's merged the uh, business planning and finance teams together and provided mentorship to these uh, new uh, team and individuals. Um, she's worked countless hours over this budget process, late nights, weekends, very tight deadlines, and she has done all of this with unflagging energy and a very positive spirit. Uh, despite all of this, Jody has made time to develop her staff. Um, her staff has recognized her sincere commitment, uh, and these are some of their comments. Jody is generous with her time and actively listens to my ideas and opinions. Through Jody's guidance and mentoring, she has ex helped me excel at my work. I think Jody probably works harder than anybody I've seen, most likely including late nights and weekends, whatever it takes to get the job done. She is brilliant and knowledgeable. She's humble and down to earth. Uh, being a new team member, the budgeting department was foreign to me. Jody has been a critical asset in helping me succeed through my first round of budgeting. Her open door policy enabled me to feel comfortable coming to her with questions. I have been impressed with her knowledge and expertise, but also her vast capability for compassion and empathy for her staff. So Jody, on behalf of the team, uh, we want to recognize and thank you. Very well deserved. Thank you. not me. Um, so this is Laura Lopez. I'm really pleased to present this award to her because I actually heard about her months before the employee recognition thing even started during my uh, monthly rounding sessions in the pediatrics clinic here on K6. Every single time I go up there, I hear about Laura. Um, so Laura Lopez is our Project Dual Safe Family Specialist it, in the Highland Pediatrics Clinic um, on this campus. Project Dulce is a collaborative with First Five Alameda County, which is a program that supports families for the first six months following the birth of a new infant. Um, and Laura is based at the primary care medical home for all of the infants that she's following. She integrates herself with the healthcare team and provides family-centered support around healthy child development and parenting by assisting the family in accessing needed services, connecting them to formal and informal community resources. Um, she meets with the families at their well-child visits, but she also tracks them down by phone um, and regular check-ins and makes sure that these babies are really being set up for success in future life. 
Her engaging, compassionate, and well-versed expertise lends life-changing support to these families that otherwise would be at risk for various toxic stressors. And she goes above and beyond meeting the families where they are and making sure that they're actually able to take care of their children and, and progress in this way. Um, she solves master problem solvers, solves all sorts of problems, you know, from food insecurity to immigration concerns, especially in the current environment, to maneuvering our complex healthcare system, which is not easy to navigate. Um, and the project is actually already showing concrete outcome measures. So they're tracking maternal depression rates through this program, improving access to various services, and really engaging families in preventive care for their children um, to get them off on the right foot. So Laura, you know, I think you completely deserve this, and I'm sure the entire Highland Pediatrics yeah. team agrees. Yeah. Um, we're a little late to the game because Laura was already featured in New American Media in May of this year in their magazine uh, publication. So we're, we're catching up. <laughs> Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you. Uh, on behalf of the board, all of you who were uh, recognized tonight, we want to thank you for your dedication to this community and for your competent and caring service. Thank you so much for what you do for our system. Thank you. Uh, if there's no objection on the part of the trustees, I would like to take board uh, the chair's authority and move action item number F forward um, so that we can in fact have a conversation about the electronic health record um, right out. So if there's no objection, I will move to item F then. Please. <clears throat> sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, wait. No, 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 this discussion. Okay. Um, sorry. Um, thank you, Trustee Lawrence. Um, I, before, uh, I'll turn this over to, to Dave and, and our uh, colleagues who are going to uh, co-present with him. I just want to clarify for the trustees, this is an information and, and, and discussion uh, item. Uh, that's the update. Uh, so uh, as we have been uh, promising and um, have been telegraphing for the past couple of months since we completed our long-range IT plan, today is the day that we're going to share with the organization uh, kind of the milestone. It is not the culmination of our work. Uh, as Dave will describe, but the milestone of, of a lot of effort that's happened on the part of um, uh, this really robust representation in the room, which is still a small part of the organization that has really, uh, really uh, taken a, a great investment in what is a really uh, huge uh, um, initiative for the organization, and that's our selection of a uh, comprehensive um, uh, electronic health record for, for the organization. Uh, I do want to just say at the offset, again, will be reflected in Dave's comments, that uh, today what we'll be sharing with you is the sort of the uh, a little bit of a flavor for the, the process itself and where we are to this date, uh, the lead vendor for whom we will go into uh, contract negotiations with um, and, and then what we expect the next steps to be. Uh, I do want to be clear that um, uh, while we are identifying, a, the purpose of identifying a lead vendor is to suggest and to uh, indicate that conversations will be ongoing with uh, both vendors. Uh, 
but perhaps slightly more aggressive with the, the lead vendor in the hopes that we can negotiate an arrangement uh, that will actually uh, work for the organization and that we will ultimately bring back to the board for your for your support. Uh, so, so you know, this is uh, far from over, and uh, there's still a lot of hurdles to be uh, uh, surmounted between now and, and the latter part of this calendar year. Uh, but that notwithstanding, a, an incredible amount of work, uh, uh, again, done uh, to the real uh, appreciation of the leadership team on all the uh, clinicians, the staff, uh, the leaders who participated very actively in this process. And with that, I want to turn it over to Dave and, um, and the uh, co-presenters who have also uh, played a huge leadership role in this to, to give us this update. So, Dave. Thanks. Um, so this is, uh, as Delphic, you mentioned, this is a, a simply a milestone in the process, right? It's uh, almost the work hasn't even started yet. Uh, until we get to kickoff day is when the, and the project really starts in earnest. It's been a lot of work to get here, about a year and a half worth of effort from the EHR Selection Committee, and many of the people in the room here participated in that process to get us where we're at. Uh, to, to be consistent, though, to tell you why we're on this journey, we, we, the suspense will continue while we go through how we went through the process to get to a lead vendor solution and not just give you, we pick somebody and you just go, why? So we'll work through the process we went through. So here you'll see as part of our IT long-range plan was to uh, complete a thorough vendor selection process uh, to determine the right system for AHS and to have that uh, completed by October so that we could start the project to get it completed before January of 2020, which has been the target for the timeline we think to need to get us on the right path of where we need to go. Uh, so in this, I, I learned a new, ter new term from consultants recently. I won't drain the slide for you, meaning I won't read it to you because there's a lot on there. I didn't know that was a term, but I'm, a, I'm not going to drain the slide. But I will tell you the key points of the slide. Uh, th this is what really drove the EHR vision and what we're trying to get to. And so these are the key points in that each of them is important in what we do. So it's not like I'm going to pull out one or two and say this is most important. Each one was critical in our decision process and, and what we need to accomplish through this EHR process. And, and so that's the list. It's been in your packet for your review. If, if you have questions, happy to answer those uh, as we move on. Uh, similarly with this, uh, these are our selection process objectives to really find the right EHR system for vendor for AHS. It wasn't about what's the best, what's the cheapest, what's the most expensive, which one you know has nicer colors. It really was what's the right one for us given all of the objectives we set for previously, or these objectives and the vision we set previously. Much of that happened before when I brought to you what was the the voice of the customer process. So as we talked, uh, working with Lidos Health, who's also here this meeting, I want to make sure we recognize them. Uh, Asher Kramer and Phil Gelda worked with us from Lidos on the IT long range plan and through the selection process to help us uh, through this effort. Really driving at make, making sure we're doing the right thing for the right reasons for the organization. Uh, in this, uh, there are a couple key components of this that I did want to mention uh, that we will, um, oh, that, that it was a not a typical vendor capability inquiry process. Uh, and it, it's more about making an effective decision based on the feature functionality and what it could do for meeting our objectives rather than who gave us the best marketing spiel in the process. That's why we had over 500 people participate in the demo process, give us all their feedback and RFP review, which I think I cover next. Um, so that was kind of why we're doing what we're doing, what was the vision, what were our objectives, what was the, the detailed process through that selection. And this gets at the process steps we continued through. So RFP development, that's what the teams worked on for about the last, uh, for the kind of the calendar year 2016, uh, developing those specific functional RFP requirements that we would need the system to do for us. 
uh, and that was the RFP development. Uh, then we went to the assessment phase, so the two vendors, Cerner and Epic, both received the RFPs. Over 5,000 questions had to be responded to. All of those had to be scored uh, and, and reviewed. Uh, then we had the vendor demonstrations, reference calls. We did the executive corporate visits to learn alignment between their corporate visions and directions and, and where AHS is, what we're trying to accomplish. And then also a, a pretty comprehensive total cost of ownership review to understand what it would be from each vendor to look at this over a 10-year period, what it would cost the organization to, to accomplish this. And also we've begun the vendor contracting process. So part of the RFP wasn't just <clears throat> what are your feature functions, but what terms and conditions would you agree to for us to be successful uh, in our implementation? I, I use the, uh, the simile of uh, when I buy a drill, I want to buy a hole. I don't really want to buy a drill, right? We want to buy an outcome. So the EHR we want to buy is what are we going to accomplish with that, not we don't want to buy software or, a, or partner with a vendor, we want an outcome out of that. And so that's a part of what the vendor contracting drives us to do is ensure we reach that outcome we want. So in the RFP development, uh, we mentioned uh, AHS, Lidos, and Foley all worked together on that. We had significant physician and staff engagement in that. Many of the people in the room were the people that reviewed those RFPs. I personally spent about 16 hours in RFP review uh, scoring those, and many people, some people spent more time than I did, uh, but it was very comprehensive. Uh, we formed the EHR project work group that really was the group uh, that, that came together to evaluate all of the data points that we accomplished uh, to make that decision and bounce that off the IT steering committee as, and their input on how does it impact the overall um, activities of the organization. It included both a qualitative and a quantitative inquiry process which arrived at all the data we needed to make that decision. Um, I think this is the last slide before we get there. <laughs> um, so this kind of just um, details out those pieces that were in the review process, including um, the vendor demonstrations. I mentioned over 500 participants at each of the Cerner and Epic demos responded with over um, 1,800 responses each for the vendors that, that provided scores that all came into the analysis process. Uh, the total cost of ownership analysis, we've been continually refining that along the way. Uh, to, to, to ensure we're really understanding what is the financial implication of what we're trying to do. And not just the acquisition cost, but that total cost of ownership over the long period. What are the additional resources we need? What will be the staff backfill hours we'll need to pay for so that people can come off their regular job to work on the implementation and, and not feel that they've got to do that and their regular job in addition to that. Uh, this is the place where most organizations miss the mark. And when they go way over budget, it's because they've not done a comprehensive total cost of ownership review and why we brought in Lightos to help us do that, to bring in their industry expertise in where these projects uh, have failed and what makes them successful to ensure we're accounting for all of that. And then other environmental factors were in our consideration of what's happening in the marketplace that where we live, what, what's happening nationally in terms of interoperability. We, we talked about that, right? How do we talk to other systems? Uh, how does our information share with them? How do they share information with us? And then what's just happening in and around us? Uh, so with that, it leads to our lead vendor selection. Uh, so to be key on this, Devek, you mentioned this, this gets us to uh, the next step in the process, which is working through the, the, and finalizing contract negotiations. We will be moving forward with negotiations with both vendors, but primarily with our lead vendor, which will be Epic. Um, so with that, uh, we are targeting an October presentation to the board where we bring back what we believe will be the contract for your review and approval in that process to start and kick off the project in January. And some really good finance terms. <laughs> and some really good financial planning, which you'll see from Mr. Cox, who's working very closely, who's 
leading the uh, total cost of ownership and financial planning component. Um, so, uh, you mentioned before you wanted to hear from the people that, that participate in this process. So we've lined up uh, th these people that are that are that are documento, uh, co-chairs on our selection committee and key components of that of that selection process. So I'd like to ask Dr. Emily Miraflor to come up, one of our co-chairs, share you from a physician perspective on the process. Thank you very much for this opportunity to address the board. I'm one of the attending surgeons here at Highland Hospital, and it's been my pleasure to serve as one of the co-chairs on the EHR Selection Committee. My experience with Highland dates back to my days as a medical student, so I remember our purely paper chart. I remember the implementation of our hybrid system, Merlin, and then Sorian. Uh, with the implementation of prior systems, whether real or imagined, many providers perceived a lack of their input in the selection of the system that was implemented. And that's definitely not been the case with our selected future state EHR. Our committee has been meeting since the winter of 2016. And during this 18-month process, our, the number of participants continued to grow as we sought to uh, um, ensure input from all of the Alameda Health System campuses. We met as often as every other week to discuss the problems with our current system so we could identify the features that we wanted in our ideal EHR system. Each department within each campus was asked to develop a full needs assessment, including criteria that they felt the next EHR system just simply had to fulfill. From there, with the help of Lidos, we each department participated in the creation of the request for proposal document that included all of their required features. After the vendor responded to these RFPs, each department then scored these responses, and these scores were used as a component of the EHR Selection Committee's assessment of the vendors. Finally, each vendor gave a multi-day demonstration of their product and all employees were encouraged to attend. And in fact, participation was so great that we couldn't hold the demonstrations at any one of our individual campuses because none of them had the capacity to accommodate everyone who wanted to participate. Uh, at the demonstrations, the clinicians were again asked for their individual input on specific features of the system as well as general comments about their preferences for the EHR system. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping you can see from this description of our process that it was designed to be very inclusive of the provider's opinion within all of Alameda Health System, not just Highland, ensuring that the providers would have the best EHR tool possible to meet the needs for, uh, 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 to provide outstanding care for the patients that we serve. We saw really broad engagement and enthusiasm for this project. It wasn't hard to get people to participate. Um, and there's genuine excitement among the clinician community as this project moves forward to the next stage. I thank you for your attention, and I'd be happy to answer any questions you may have about our process. Next, I'd ask Tracy Stone, a, a nurse with us, who was also a co-chair of the committee, to speak from the nursing perspective and participation. Ditto. <laughs> I just have to, everything that you listed there, we did go through. I'll, I'll go back a step further, and as co-chair, I was even allowed, and I felt like my input was heard, on the partner we chose to help us with the selection process. So every step of the way, I feel like I was allowed to give the input, develop the RFP, work on the scenarios that were used in the demonstration and then like I said the the large group that met to see the demos and then everybody gave their feedback um, there's very nice organization to that and the forms work very well everybody was allowed to give it and I like it's a great process 
and one that I've not been allowed to participate in before, and I was very grateful for it. Okay. Great. Okay. Uh, I also have Letitia Murray to talk. Letitia is, runs our scheduling department, and so I wanted to give you the aspect of uh, from the non-clinical areas that you're also highly engaged in the process. Hi. Um, I was very engaged in the process. Um, we stayed organized. I was here when we rolled out um, the CERNA product for Sorian scheduling. And so this was very different. End users were engaged. Everybody was engaged at every level. And we had several meetings. And any questions that was asked of IT and any of the project leads um, were answered. End users felt like they had actually, not only did they get to go to the demo, but they also got their questions answered on site. And any questions that we brought back to the group, they were always more than willing to answer. So it was very refreshing that everybody was excited about the process up until this point of knowing what system we would actually select. So I felt very engaged. And we participated with the scripts and engaging the staff with the scripts so that we made sure we saw what each system could do. So um, we were all very pleased with the process. Any questions? Questions? Actually, I do have a question. I'm not sure who to direct it to, but from the, from the committee, um, uh, three questions. One: What was good about the vendor that you didn't choose, and what was what was really a deciding factor for why you chose Epic, uh, and what maybe uh, don't you like about Epic, or what concerns you? And then last: Was it close? I'm not privy to the to all of the scores because the working group did the scoring. In your humble opinion. In my humble opinion, opinion for me, it was not close. Um, I think what was good about the system that we did not choose was it had some similarities to the system that we did choose. <laughs> but it didn't have some of the other features that people are at least in some of the demonstrations, they said they did not have some of the features that people are already very familiar with with the other system. And the other thing that I thought was really important for me was that a lot of people are already very comfortable with Epic in this area, and a lot of our employees work in multiple sites. So that would make it simpler for them not to have to have two different systems. And then some of our major area hospitals are also on Epic, and the transfer of information is a little bit easier. Uh, and then your last question was, what do I think would be difficult about this vendor that we chose? Uh, I think that's for us to rise to the bar of, of making sure we maintain our equipment and ma maintain our IT staff to maintain the system. But I think that would be true for any, any system. We, we tend to have equipment loss. Not necessarily loss, but we have a difficult time maintaining some of our equipment sometimes. I really don't have much at I, I felt like it was fairly close either way. Um, and it could be just because of where we are and where both of those could bring us um, that I felt like either one would serve our purpose well. But I do think that Epic had a little little bit more to offer to us. Um, and I would say my, my fear is making sure we implement well whichever one we end up with. That's my bigger fear. Any other comment, Board? Um, a, a, not a concern. I guess the, the, as you said in your committees, 
the commitment for implementation, I think, is huge. And th there it's going to require a great deal of patience and a whole lot of, um, I suppose, commitment to making certain that this that this works. So I, I'm assuming that everybody was prepared for what is to come next. Um, and I'm seeing, yes, you, you understand the implementation issue. Um, I'm, for one, I'm so delighted you chose Epic, but that was my personal, <laughs> that was my personal preference. But um, the other question that uh, I, I wanted to ask is, I guess it's to you, Dave, mm -hmm. you know, in implementing any of these kinds of programs, software technolo technological programs, there is always the um, temptation to tweak things, and I want to um, see if this is a non-tweaker um, software so that you don't end up taking a great package and now everybody wants to have just, you know, a light bulb here and a blue thing here and that kind of stuff. So yes. can you, do you understand what I'm asking? Yes. That's okay. In, in one of the uh, slides, um, there, there's one of the things that says we will implement a, a, a uh, the vanilla system, if you will, as a way to say that, that we'll take the foundation system and, and build from there. Uh, there. Uh, so you'll see um, unified uh, one unified enterprise build. So that's one build for the entire organization. So we won't have. Uh, we won't have a Highland version, a high Alameda version, a San Leandro mm -hmm. version. Of or even a departmental yeah. version, right. which it, starts it's, a, it's one build for the entire so organization. No yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really <laughs> what I'm I think I'm it says it differently to that. But, uh, yeah, I'm trying to find the one that says it, that it's no customization. Sorry, oh, no customization. Oh, thank you. Okay. Okay. Oh, thank you. And there was a commitment. Well, you say that. There was a well, commitment on the committee part to recognizing that that is, in fact, part of the case. Yes, and we were very clear at the demonstrations that we wanted them to show us the package we would receive without customizations, and we called it a vanilla build. That we, we didn't want to see things we could do. We wanted to see what we would get with their basic installation. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't my vision. This is from the EHR Project Work Group, which is senior leadership in the organization, uh, chaired by Dr. Jamaluddin, which is, who is leading the HR project essentially across the organization to ensure this happens. So it's while it's while I'm presenting to you today, I'm presenting on the behalf of a large group of executives and staff that have participated in this process. Okay. I just wanted to echo what um, the board president said and, and urge you, Dave and um, Del Vecchio, to continue to have this robust input from the employee groups as the implementation proceeds, whether it be a, um, a a committee like this would be ideal, I, I would say, you know, but just don't, now that it, the selection's been made and, um, you know, we're, we're moving on, we, we want to have the, all the steps be be supported by our staff. Mm -hmm. Yes, please. Um, I would encourage us all to take a look at, um, I believe it's the most current New England Journal of Medicine article called A Tale of Two Doctors. And it describes two very different experiences of patients who go to see a doctor, one who's able to actually stand and look at the patient and talk and engage them, and the other who's like this. <laughs> and 
Um, I'm thrilled that we're going to have a great system. I'm really happy for you all because I know that you need that. I'm also concerned about what it does to the patient experience. Is it so complex that, you know, we're having to push 17 different fields to get to the basics? Is it so um, time-consuming that now doctors are going to spend six hours after work entering data? Um, I, my brother's a physician uh, and has just retired and is pretty uh, fed up with what he had to deal with in their system, uh, uh, meaning a lot of data entry and a lot of extra work. So as much as I love new technology and I love the solutions that it's going to provide, I, I do want us to think about what are some ways in which we might look at patients being involved at some point that's appropriate uh, to look at what it does to the in interaction with the patient. I don't want to see doctors bent over a terminal constantly, you know, a PC entering data. I hope that everybody feels good about the system really freeing up time, freeing up the persons who, who are the most precious, you know, our physicians, our front-facing staff. Thank you. I would say that just kind of a response to Dr. or Trustee Dufresne's question around what's different or similar about the systems. It's specifically this, that the new systems make it easier for the physician to do their job, to get documentation done quickly that doesn't require them to spend all their time typing mm -hmm. and focusing on the PC. So it was really a, a focus of both of the presentations was around how quickly can a physician finish documentation and spend their time with their patient. Thank you. I attended two of the forums and three quarters of the staff that attended held their hands that they went and, and did the demos, which I just thought, what That's a great, great testament to take time to be part of the process. So thank you very much for you, but you're involved. So. Well, congratulations. Thank you so much. So if I may, um, um, th I want to thank our, our, our staff too, not just for today, but obviously all the work they've done thus far. Um, I have the dubious honor uh, of actually, you know, walking the more egalitarian line here. So, so I just want to say, um, uh, just a reminder, you know, this, this process is still at a milestone, so it is not final. Uh, we certainly hope uh, that we're able to, to move this through in the manner in which we've uh, defined, but we do not foreclose on that prospect that that, that may not come to pass uh, for a host of, of, of contracting challenges. Uh, but we hope that folks will understand uh, uh, if that does not come to pass, that it is not for lack of the, the uh, leadership in the organization understanding uh, what what is uh, perhaps the, the 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 preferred choice of the organization, uh, but uh, in balance in looking at everything and whatever happens during that process, um, uh, we have the we have the responsibility and the requirement to make sure that we're we're doing on balance what's in the best interest of the organization. And so we will we will uh, proceed as we've described. Uh, we will uh, uh, do the best we can. But when we come back to you. Um, um, I just want to wedge the door that there is a prospect that we come back to you and say, uh, uh, despite our best efforts, this one thing did not work out, but this other thing is still uh, uh, feasible, and, and this is, for whatever the reasons are, uh, the reasons why we would recommend going in one direction versus the other, if that <coughs> were to come to pass. I just I want to make sure that that's clear to everyone. And I assume we should be as un unbiased as possible until we get a formal recommendation from... Uh, correct. This, was, this is a milestone. It's the update, and mm -hmm. it's certainly to recognize to, for everyone in the room where we are and, and to reflect back to you in as transparent a manner as possible uh, that we have heard you and uh, that 
that we're reflecting your, your sentiments. I, you know, don't want to, for, for this fact that we're in the middle of uh, uh, the process, don't want to get into too much detail around the, um, the scorings and, and other sorts of things. But uh, um, um, I think one comment was made that I would, I would uh, echo, which was that um, uh, both systems, and I want to thank both of them for actually participating in the process as well, uh, demonstrated that they have the capability, as we thought they did, the capabilities to deliver on the needs of, of the organization. Uh, and it was just for, for different uh, reasons that one is right now in the lead uh, uh, so versus the there other. there hasn't been a choice, there's been no formal notification at this point? It's just that one is, uh, so one's in the lead? That's correct. But you've notified, we've accepted, we've entered into negotiations with Epic. Yeah, we, we entered into negotiations when we sent the RFPs to, with both of them. That's when it started. This becomes the more more intense process yeah. of actually trying to work out a contract. You, you know, I, I really appreciate you saying that and taking because I didn't want to be that ugly person here <laughs> when everybody's sitting here excited about That's it. I was job. just going to wait. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was going to wait until they left and then hit <laughs> and then hit you at the budget meeting at the budget yeah, action yeah. item, but. Um, you know, one of the things that we had talked about much earlier in the beginning of this process is whether or not we had to consider affordability and whether or not our system could, in fact, maintain and and finance this thing over a period of time. Despite yes. the fact that I, I happen to think this is a great product, mm -hmm. can you pay for it? You know, I you have a Tesla, I have a VW, so there's a big difference. Yeah. Here. And, um, <laughs> So affordability makes a difference to me. Um, I just I'd say that. Um, so I do appreciate I do appreciate you saying that, and it, we want we need to let everybody know that while we understand all the time and energy that took, we cannot bankrupt the system to pick up a product if we cannot over the long term finance it. Absolutely. So everybody needs to understand that, and and I just thought I needed to say that as. Th thank you for saying that, and 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 just to just add one more other point to that, uh, it's it's affordability obviously is a big part, and actually uh, is a uh, consideration for both uh, vendors, uh, but also the the terms of whatever uh, the arrangement is that we work out in terms of uh, how how we move forward collectively, and 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 so there's some other non-financial elements of that too that we. Uh, that will be very critical and pivotal uh, uh, to the process going forward. Okay, well, I'll close this discussion. Are we done? I'd like to move on to other Thanks. items. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh -huh. um, our agenda is a, little, is a little out of order here. So um, if, you, if you don't mind, we can um, go now to our doctor's reports, which is further down. So the medical staff report, item E, I will move forward, and trustees, I'm, I apologize that I'm taking this out of order, um, but we'll go ahead and have the doctors do their medical report. So, Dr. Hearn, you want to start? Thank you very much, mm -hmm. Mr. Um, my, uh, my first point is actually on behalf of all the chief of staff. We have come up with our um, a unified approach to the medical staff representative uh, to the oh. board. Um, it, um, we still feel as though it would be nice to have additional medical representation on the board. We feel as though at this time we have a unified choice 
um, at this point uh, for medical staff representation. So just to say that we that all the, the medical exec, executive committees of each of the each of the hospitals have agreed on a, on a candidate. So we will move, go ahead and move forward with that. That's great news. Thank you. Um, my first point is that we have uh, our uh, our transfer center has had uh, an incredible increase in the, um, the transfers of patients to our community hospital sites. Um, it has been uh, a process that has been in place and has been growing over the course of a, a number of uh, seven to eight months, and that has actually been quite, uh, quite beneficial. We've also found that the amount of patients who have refused transfer um, has actually dropped dramatically. Um, and we don't know if it's in our messaging or in, in, in the process, but the total number of, of patient refusals for transfer has gone down. Mm -hmm. So if you look, uh, so our transfer center graph has shown a tremendous uptick uh, in just the last few months of transfers. And I think that uh, plays a large part or a large role in our, um, we've had very few sort of red alert days uh, in the emergency department with uh, with overcrowding of patients. So I think that's, uh, that's actually been tremendously helpful. Great. That's been great. We continue to move forward with emergency department saturation guidelines. Mr. Chapman and Dr. Swift um, are uh, spearheading this effort, um, basically creating guidelines, not only for when we're in a crisis mode, but when we're in a about to be a crisis mode and, 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 and soon to be a crisis mode and tomorrow will be in a crisis mode, basically using data um, based on the NEDOC score, which is the National Emergency Department Overcrowding Score, NEDOCs. Um, and it, it basically is an objective measure of how many patients you have waiting in the hospital, in the, in the emergency department, how many patients in the lobby, how many beds you have, uh, how, what sort of capacity you have. And it basically takes a score every, um, um, on a regular basis daily um, to sort of check in to see in what color we are. Whenever we do the score, we're always in a sort of a red color, uh, code red or, or black, but um, it's, a, it's an ongoing process and we're really, um, really thankful that uh, that this sort of these surge guidelines are coming to fruition. Um, we anticipate, uh, I think their deadline, their internal deadline is, end of, is basically September 1st. Um, I believe that they are hoping to get those uh, saturation guidelines done before then. Um, and again, I congratulate them because we have, um, we've all been sort of wanting these guidelines for a number of years and, and it's literally been decades uh, for some of us to, to hope, hope this sort of like surge criteria and process has, uh, has, has been in place and we cannot um, overstate how excited we are to, uh, to see this process come to fruition. That's great. It's been fantastic. Um, in addition, the, uh, from an IT perspective, the progress notes have gone live in Sorian, which is um, um, the current EHR model that we're using for the inpatient wards and it is not only, uh, it's alive at a number of different uh, sites and it has um, shown tremendous success already actually. Um, it's again sort of like taking a number of different systems and and sort of streamlining the, uh, the electronic health record process. Um, obviously, when we implement our new um, our new vendor, it will take over all of those. But it's uh, but it's a uh, it's a step forward, and I know that the, our house staff and our clinicians um, are appreciative that uh, that at least that that small move has, has moved forward. We have recently opened up our short stay unit. We have a we now have a nine bed short stay unit, which is a post procedure and cardiac observation unit that's uh, licensed by the state. It's just licensed by the state uh, in the last month. It's now open to accept patients. Um, and so we've seen actually a tremendous spike in um, basically post-procedure patients. So um, interventional radiology, that sort of thing. And they recover there. Their beds that are licensed by the state, they have monitors, they have nursing, um, et cetera. And it's also a cardiac observation center 
um, for overnight stays for patients who don't need to be admitted uh, for a full admission. It can, it's a 23-hour kind of thing, so if you anticipate a patient has a, um, a need for a few sets of, uh, of lab tests or um, drugs that will work in a relatively short amount of time and get them um, discharged. So, it's a, so we're really excited that that's a, that's a really sort of state-of-the-art um, observation unit that we've uh, that we've been looking forward to for a very long time. We're really is, is it located in one place? Or it, is it is. It's, it's actually on the it's on the third floor. Um, it's right next to radiology, so it's mm -hmm. sort of in between sort of uh, cardiac and, and radiology. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a it's a really nice uh, it's a really nice position. Is um is that unit available for transfers from the community hospital? Um, I I'm not sure. It might be. Um, I'm not sure what the criteria <laughs> are in terms of uh, uh, of availability for transfers. It, it certainly, in a surge um, capacity, it certainly has the possibility to, to take sort of short-stay um, kinds of patients, um, but it's a certainly um, it's an, it's a good question. It will be as we ramp up. Yeah, at this stage, it's, it, it's staffing is, is uh, like some of, some of the criteria are not 24-7, but it's going to continue to increase that room. Can I ask, with that and the transfer center, um, <clears throat> it would be nice to see some quantitative data for how you know, over the course of six months, how, how these impact, as well as the San Leandro and Alameda uh, agreement, how it impacts throughput and patient access. Um, I really, I mean, we know that's been a problem and, and an issue, and it would be great to see, again, that, that mm -hmm. a tracking of that, because uh, I think it certainly helps, right? Absolutely. I think it's a combination of the transfer center, the short stay unit, and the surge guidelines, um, and so we could actually see sort of what that average length of stay is for emergency department patients and what our what our overall scores are over the course of six months. I think it's incredibly important. So, yeah. Are there any continuing issues um, with the transfer center? I was at a meeting <laughs> that the doctor publicly voiced in Alameda that there was nothing good about it and nothing good's ever happened with it. And of course when you have some that sentiment where there's no good, obviously there's some other issues. James, Mr. Jackson is looking into that. But I just wondered from your opinion, are there things that we need to approve upon in general or by and large are they just episodic? I think they're mostly episodic. I mean part of it is was figuring out which patients are appropriate for transfer and in what stage of the, the what stage of their admission process. For instance, there are patients in the emergency department that have already been admitted, that already have orders written by the medicine teams upstairs, um, and they might be appropriate for transfer, but there are, there's already been so many hours spent getting them admitted, um, and so it's a, it's a question of sort of which patients are the most appropriate. Then there's the issue of calling the calling the accepting physicians over at the community hospitals and, and having that dialogue. I think those, those issues have largely been smoothed out, and I think that is probably the reason why we've seen such a spike in the transfers recently. I think that's been great. Okay, uh, a couple more things. We have, um, um, at our next MEC, we're going to have a report um, from uh, um, HR as well as uh, administration about um, sick call issues. We've had a number of uh, sick call challenges in the last few months where we have had staff calling in sick, um, especially on non, how do I say this, non, paid holiday days, so for instance the Hallmark holidays, um, uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day, that sort of thing, where we have sick calls that literally shut down 10 beds in the emergency department. Or the last one was um, in the ICU, we had, in the ICU? Okay. Uh, about three weeks ago we had uh, a number of sick calls in the ICU that literally hamstrung transferring patients into the ICU um, because we had so many um, sick calls uh, from staff. So, at the next MEC, we're actually going to get a report about uh, this ongoing challenge, um, and we're looking forward to that. By name of people who are calling out sick? 
Yeah. Yeah. We get that report. We get an HIM report for who doesn't sign their charts, but I'm not sure we get that report. Um, it would be. It's an excellent question for HIM. Yeah, it would yeah. be. Uh, it does work. I would love to see that. It but, does work. Yeah. It's interesting because you know, as as providers, both both residents and <laughs> and attendings, like we have a backup system. Like if we are if we are sick, we we call in our backup system, and that coverage is never. Um, it's never really an issue, um, and I think that's part of the challenges that uh, is is getting coverage. So who? I'm sorry. So what staff is it an issue with? Confused. Um, it's a number of different areas. I think it's it, it, clinical non-physicians. So mm -hmm. But don't we have backup for that too? We do, but it it doesn't. It doesn't, yeah. I mean, we have registry and we have other uh, other mechanisms, but it doesn't always cover the uh, meet the need and in the moment, hence the reason, or it's a result that a patient will have uh, short staffing and have to adjust other ways in terms of not if the beds aren't staffed, we can't we can operate or, or, or use it. So. Great. Um, and then we're also looking forward to um, um, there's a an increased. Um, awareness of, and this is obviously sort of a societal problem, but um, I think that um, in terms of safety and security, there have been a number of questions amongst medical staff of, of feeling safe um, and feeling, um, um, just making sure that our patients are safe, our staff feel safe and comfortable. There have been an, uh, a handful of incidents over the course of many years um, where um, uh, staff members have felt unsafe for whatever reason, um, and we're um, Mr. Chapman is having a, a meeting with our disaster committee, and we'll talk to that, uh, at uh, MEC next month. Um, so just letting the board be aware that we're going to have more information and more discussion about uh, the sense of safety and security. Interestingly enough, at the MEC, um, it was not only a, a Highland issue because we're the trauma center and we have gunshot victims, but uh, a number of the other clinics and facilities feel as though safety and security is obviously incredibly important. So just a, a conversation that's in that's in important to keep having. Okay. Um, I do want to uh, I only have a couple more things. Uh, we actually uh, there's been a great success in the last few months, and I have to actually um, thank Dr. Karen Tribble for um, for her help with this. As of July 1st, the ACGME, which is the national body that controls and oversees resident education and training, um, has required that as of July 1st, all residents have access to 24-7 counseling resources. Um, and so we've had sort of a task force going for the last few months trying to figure out how to get these resources in place, um, support groups for residents, uh, crisis intervention after, for instance, like a, a pediatric, a few months ago we had a, a pediatric patient who was shot and was brought to Highland and, and, and so like crisis intervention and stress debriefing um, as well as resources for individual counseling and uh, and this task force which has included uh, Dr. Tribble and Dr. Saldana and uh, the, a lot of folks from the behavioral health on this view have really sort of come together to, to, to meet the need um, for this uh, for this thing so we're actually we want to call out specifically that this has been a, a tremendous success um, and a relatively short uh, time frame. Um, literally, the task force has only been meeting for a, a few months, and we've. we've are are the residents also in your burnout numbers? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's clearly it's clearly an ongoing problem. Um, but these peer support groups, so it's 
it might take 30 more seconds. Uh, the peer, it's actually three different levels of resources. Uh, the first level is peer support groups where they meet on a monthly basis with um, psychologists. Uh, but, and it's sort of training and skills development on how and coping mechanisms. Then there's individual resources if somebody realizes that they have a particular issue uh, that needs specific counseling. And then there's the 24-7 the crisis intervention, um, which which is applicable to not only, obviously, medical staff members, but all of, um, all of us um, in those situations. Um, so it's, it's been a, 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 a very, very happy and proud to say that uh, uh, a good success. Great. Um, and, and on the on the heels of that, uh, we are going to have ongoing um, discussions about physician wellness, um, the possibility of a wellness center, and other sort of resources. So, um, Tavaki and I have been uh, speaking at, at some length about how to create a system which is egalitarian and supportive, um, but also meets the wellness needs and uh, uh, for um, increased. Provider resilience. I don't like using the term burnout. I like actually turning it around and saying fostering resilience because I think that's probably a better way to think of this. Um, and then finally, uh, we have two. Um, we, 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 the MEC noted that uh, um, there are a couple sort of process issues in uh, in working out physician and both physician contracts and non-physician contracts. That uh, that again, we're working with administration about sort of figuring out exactly how to how to go about notification. Um, it's obviously a, a, a slightly challenging issue, especially when it comes to physician contracts, um, because there's, for instance, in the in the in the board summary for the the, the TBH contract extension, there's a line saying um, CMO and other other uh, members, of the, uh, appropriate members of the medical staff were notified, um, and I think it's just it's interesting because um, when it, it involves it, we're just again we're sort of working on the process of exactly how the how the physicians are notified of, of these contracts and I think it's more just a procedural issue um, we talked about it very you know, extensively at MEC yesterday um, just about the contracts and I think it's for instance if for the oak care contract I shouldn't I shouldn't necessarily see that because I'm an oak care physician so there's some conflicts of interest that are that are, are clearly inherent in physician contracting but yet as medical staff in our bylaws to be aware of things. So the question is sort of working through the process. And then finally, also the non-physician non clinical contracts, just being a little bit more transparent about the process for that contracting. And we talked about it at MEC about um, just having a, a more transparent process for when physicians are notified and how that's uh, working on. So we're going to have a report at the next MEC about how, that, how that's going. Give an example of, of what you're talking about. Because I remember sitting in a committee about this very issue. Exactly. And so it's it's that issue, but in, and it's just the figuring out the, the exact procedural processes. So when a contract gets assigned to, there's a, somebody in contracting, then there's also a physician leader who has who's been um, assigned to be aware of it. That that physician leader then is notified by the contracting to look over the contractor, provide it. All things related, thing. contracts related to medical procedures, medical, clinical issues. Clinical issues, like buying a... But not the elevator repair contract. Correct, correct. They're non-physician clinical contracts. So because those were the debates we exactly, had earlier. Exactly. So okay. the dialysis contract, buying chemicals for, you know, reagents for the lab, that sort of thing. Um, and so at NEC, we just sort of brought up the fact that um, we just need uh, just the process needs to be just a little more transparent. We think that it's definitely improved um, over the last few months since that that um, very famous meeting last year. Um, but I think that it's just an ongoing um, process. So um, I'm I, I think 
I think it's moving in the right direction, and I have, I have no well, doubt. If anybody can do it, Ira can do it. So we can, we'll, we'll get Ira to Perfect. work that And out. then the, the final thing, we had our surgery department uh, report, annual report. And uh, surgery department is, you know, they're incredibly taxed. They're, they're working really hard. They're actually working over capacity right now. Um, and uh, when they look at OR utilization for the amount of time that they're blocked, they have block times for, for scheduling surgeries. Um, the national standard is, is being about 80% active and full. Um, both the general surgery and the orthopedics department are working at over 100% capacity for their block time, um, which is just a testament to how busy uh, the department is. So, um, that's it for my report. Any questions? Any questions? Dr. Chu, can you beat that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I cannot. <laughs> um, we, uh, like uh, Dr. Uh, Jim uh, mentioned, uh, our uh, medical exec committee uh, has endorsed uh, Dr. Piquet as the physician representative to the Board of Trustees for January 2018 uh -huh. And uh, we also would like to invite, uh, starting immediately, I uh, would like to invite the uh, re physician representative to the Board of Trustees to come to the MEC meeting on a quarterly, quarterly basis to give us update till such time as we have uh, a representative from San Angelo Hospital. And uh, transfer guideline, we're gonna, uh, we continue to uh, develop language for transfer guideline between San Angelo Hospitals and uh, Alameda Hospital. So this is aside from the Highland Hospital transfer. And guideline will be to uh, reciprocate and assist in uh, ex expediting the uh, transferring process. And uh, on the quarterly report for our quality, uh, our uh, sepsis harm reduction team, uh, HRT report, uh, uh, first quarter of 2017, our bundle compliance rate is 52.63%. Currently, it would be the national average of uh, 42%. And the mortality rate for the first quarter of 2017 uh, to May of 2017 is uh, this eight deaths uh, out of 26. Sorry, yes. Should that report be more in QPSC than in open session? Mm. Bundle compliance and um, mortality. Is that more? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, in QPSC. Yeah, it would probably it would fit better in QPSC, okay. but okay. you're I don't want to stymie your. Okay. Yeah, um, and uh, basically we are. Uh, about in the national average as far as death rate. And you're right, this is actually a big Yes, it's, it's probably, that's okay. I was, uh, was uh, we were in a hurry and uh, we glanced over. And that's uh, about my report uh, for uh, San Angel Hospital. Thank you. Well, I know members of this board would love to or be honored to speak at the DMC, so whenever you feel you want a representative to come, I know we can get some volunteers. So, thank you. Dr. Ye. Well, everything's been said already. Hasn't <laughs> okay. <laughs> Since we're all seen, we are collaborating with uh, our, uh, our medical staffs, and so uh, we again, yes, we, uh, we'd like to invite our current uh, physician representative on an off day or an off quarter to come visit our NEC as well. Um, and we also endorse uh, Dr. Taffy Paquette uh, for our uh, representative uh, going forward um, when the uh, term starts. 
Some of the other things we're still working on, uh, clinical services shortages at uh, Alameda Hospital, which include services like urology, psychiatry, and podiatry. I believe we have a psychiatry contract in place, so we do have uh, that as in place. And I believe our CAO continues to work on our additional contracts that we need coverage on. Uh, as far as our patient experience, our HCAP scores uh, with our true north metrics are above target at 61.1 or 61.6. And so we are, and the trend is headed in the right direction in the last three months. So it's, it's an upward trend. Uh, we did have some, uh, you know, environmental issues during the time in the last uh, quarter, so uh, during the winter time. So that was, we found that that was a factor in, in why we did take a little bit of a dip. Um, we, you know, we continue to work out our transfer agreement or transfer guidelines, and this is primarily off transfer hours, off transfer center hours, uh, to help unload on additional services we can on either campuses, San Leandro and Alameda. Uh, one of the things that came up was the cell phone coverage in our hospital, or lack of, uh, depending on which service you, or carry you have. And we have in the past have installed little mini cell towers that are in, our, in our floors, and we've been working with IT and installed a new set of cell towers, opened up some of the restrictions in our firewall to have these cell towers uh, working, first primarily for some of the more common carriers that we have. And so we continue to work on or identify certain areas of the hospital where cell, cell, cell service is dismal. And, and we have come probably another six or seven additional uh, mini cell phone adapters, so to speak. And so we, that's, uh, again, continue to uh, try to improve our ability to contact our physicians <laughs> in the hospital. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions? Yeah, can we do that here? Because this seems useless whenever I come here. <laughs> it, uh, it requires that you have some signal to be able to rebroadcast the signal. Yes. <laughs> okay, I'm going to move um, the agenda and we'll do the president's report. Um, and we do have an action item, so I'm going to ask the board. Um, as you know, we had an odd ad hoc committee. We have a vacancy for a a seat on this board, um, the ad hoc committee, and I want to thank um, Trustee uh, Thompson and Dr. Zorthian and Gary Charlin, and I sat on and interviewed. Um, and Trustee and, DeBreeze. Uh, sorry, I, I missed, I forgot it. God, it's very good. good. No, I apologize. Um, and Trustee DeBreeze, and we have come up with two nominations coming forward. You saw the document, um, Louis Ciccone and Peter Manoles, um, and I need a- I'll move. Thank you. Second. Okay, and this will go forward. Do I hear all those in favor? Aye. Aye. Great, then this will go forward to the County Board of Supervisors as our recommendation. So I'll move to the CEO report. Okay. The clicker is somewhere. <laughs> uh, hold on. That's okay. 
CNN while you're getting uh, <laughs> No, because it might it might yeah, change your mood. <laughs> it might change your mood. There's only good news. There's only good news. Yeah, Okay, so I'm going to do this uh, without the benefit of you seeing the slides, for which I apologize. Uh, Dave may be able to put them up in just a second. So as you close them up, actually, uh, one of the things that's not in this slide, thank you, Dave, um, uh, is obviously today is a uh, relatively uh, um, important day for us in terms of what's happening in D.C. now. And um, uh, so as many of you probably know, today the Senate uh, released or, or uh, uh, published their version of the um, uh, health care repeal bill. So it's, I don't know if they're still calling it the American or what was it called, the Affordable Health Care Act. Um, uh, but it came out today, and so there's a lot of frenzied work in activity kind of reading that now, since it's been such a hidden uh, or closely held uh, document and trying to figure out what many of the, the uh, changes are. And so I don't have any detail right now, except I've seen a few reports about some of the uh, changes reflecting sort of a, a little bit of a delay of some of the um, um, the cuts and changes that the House uh, in, that were in the House bill, um, and a few uh, um, adjustments uh, otherwise, but uh, effectively moving in the same direction. And so, on, on balance, still quite problematic. Um, the Senate, as you know, is uh, at least um, 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 Senator McConnell is trying to get a vote on this as early as next week. They're waiting on a CBO estimate that could come out tomorrow or um, uh, on Monday, and. Um, they have to have at least 52 uh, um, of the um, Republican uh, senators uh, vote on this, and they can't lose more than two votes. And at least one article I saw this morning said that there were at least three sen Republican senators who were, oh, it's up to four now, who, who were suggesting at this stage that they might actually oppose the legislation, um, uh, which would get us through the July uh, recess, uh, but um, just as a reminder, this uh, time frame for a um, omnibus reconciliation act, which is the one that gets you uh, can get this done with a simple majority, goes through I think the end of September. So, uh, so long as uh, something can happen by that time, that there's still the prospect that. Uh, we will we'll have a repeal and a, and a replace bill, but uh, we'll see what happens. So, and more detail to come, obviously. Uh, 
but with that, I want to uh, I want to quickly go through my slides, um, and um, I apologize uh, that you didn't get these again. A little. Uh, uh, handoff uh, challenge uh, uh, for me, uh, but but we'll get them done. Um, the first slide is really just an, an acknowledgement. Uh, many of you know that uh, I and my family, uh, just like many of our employees, get our care in the system. And um, I took my daughter to a dental appointment at Eastmont Clinic. And um, while we were waiting, actually while they were kicking me out of the room so she could actually do what she does, uh, Dr. Austin so co uh, competently went without me in the room. Um, uh, she took the opportunity to show me this uh, poster presentation that was in the corridor of the clinic, which was about uh, health equity uh, uh, opportunity for which we prioritize in our clinic. This was actually a collaboration between our clinic and the Eastmont Clinic, in particular the dental clinic, and the countywide uh, anti-poverty initiative that um, uh, Supervisor Chan uh, initiated called All in Alameda. Uh, what it was was a community listening session with uh, a school that's called the Oakland Unity Middle School that's also based at the Eastmont Mall. And and our clinic, um, our clinic uh, uh, that's in the Eastmont, uh, the Eastmont Wellness Center, and uh, they were focused on dental care and dental um, uh, issues, as it says, the mouth as a site of, uh, site of structural inequities. Uh, some of the piece here talks about how uh, dental caries uh, um, are, are, are closely, or the prevalence of them is closely associated with uh, poverty. Uh, and it is assumed to be caused by poor diet, lack of self-care, and uh, limited access to preventive and treatment services. And so uh, there was a great, fantastic listening session that didn't focus just on the dental services, but talked about other community needs. It was a, a group of students, administrators, and parents who participated in this. And really, it ended up, um, one of the, uh, I think, positive outcomes of this was a strengthened connection between the Eastmont Clinic, uh, particularly in this case, the dental clinic, and its furthering uh, now to the Wellness Center and the uh, Oakland Unity uh, Middle School. And so there's an effort afoot now to uh, get the students with parents' cons parental consent and coordination to get more of their dental care right at the Eastmont Clinic. And so we're excited about that. And I, I, I applaud Dr. Austin for her leadership, uh, not just in the clinic, but in the community. She is from the community, actually. And when I first started, told me how she used to hang out in Sears as a teenager at Eastmont Mall, right where the dental clinic is today. So uh, she's, as I said, of the community and still in the community and providing great service and one of the many ways the last time I shared with you uh, some great work that some of our um, um, uh, mid midwives were doing around health inequity and uh, this diversity and inclusion in the mid midwifery profession. So uh, a lot of fantastic work done across the organization, some of which is coordinated and some of which, quite honestly, is organic, but we celebrate it all. Uh, I wanted to take the opportunity, uh, Tangerine, if you don't mind, uh, just standing up for just a second. Uh, our new Chief Administrative Officer for Population Health, Tangerine Brigham, is here, finally. We are so, so very excited to have Tendrin here. Uh, uh, many of you know that we uh, completed uh, successfully a recruitment process to um, to bring her home uh, uh, back to, to Oakland in the Bay Area uh, from uh, some wonderful work that she's been doing for the past couple of years uh, uh, back in my old stuffing ground with the LA Department uh, of Health Services where she served as the Deputy Director of Managed Care Services. Um, she, in her role here, she will actually uh, uh, be overseeing population health in the many areas that uh, uh, will fall under that include our uh, uh, public affairs and community engagements, our PACE group uh, with Terry and team, uh, uh, managed care, uh, care management, uh, and health equity. 
um, uh, in our waiver, all of our waiver initiatives. So we're very excited about uh, the work that Tangerine will do and, and the uh, expertise and uh, insights that she'll bring to the team as we continue our strategic plan of moving towards population health management and shifting not just in partnership with our providers, our care delivery platform, but then the way in which we're financing and reimbursed to support and strengthen that platform going forward. So uh, welcome, Tangerine, and, and so, so delighted to have you here. Um, I will quickly go through the uh, standard uh, updates and then just a, uh, I have two slides, a follow-up from our last budget discussion uh, and the follow-up uh, actions that, uh, um, that I caught from the, uh, the group that will lead into our budget discussion or the action item today uh, on the budget itself. So the dashboard that's on here is, uh, so I wasn't terribly sad, you all can hardly ever see these and I apologize. We're, we're going to work on this next year, we're actually, and you'll hear a little bit more about that in a second, uh, but this is the dashboard as it were, um, this one is actually the wrong one. Uh, you have the updated one before you. Uh, this is for last month. And so uh, what I'll call out for you is if you look at the, uh, the first column of colored uh, performance, which is the uh, current month's performance, I'll just kind of run down that and uh, just quickly say to you, you see uh, that there are only two red areas, meaning that we are um, uh, more than 2% off of our targeted performance in the negative direction. Uh, that was our clinic visits for the month were off by about 10% according to, uh, relative to the budget. So 27,000 visits where we were budgeted for 30,000. Those are the traditional <coughs> clinic visits. Um, if, you, if you could see the 5,700 of uh, telephonic visits last month, you'd also notice uh, that um, the telephonic uh, visits also went up uh, in the, from, from April to this month's May report. Uh, we are in the throes of the project that I've mentioned to you before where we're actually culling through these visits now and actually uh, parsing out which ones are meaningful visits and which aren't. And at the uh, culmination uh, here, we'll do some uh, sort of retrospective um, uh, extrapolation to then uh, associate the total number, which is in the next column, of those that are likely to have been meaningful visits and then add that to the uh, total number of visits and, and see what that looks like relative to our goal. When will we have that? So we have, we're looking at preliminary data now, so it's been in place for, what about, I'm looking at Dave and, and, and uh, Paula, who neither of whom are looking at me. <laughs> uh, but this has been, what, about three weeks, four weeks oh. of, of the yeah. process where we're, we're doing the coding. Oh, is it closer to 10 days? I'm sorry, so closer to two weeks uh, uh, that has been in place. Uh, and so we're, we're calling through that data now, so we'll have a full month by the end of this month. So we really don't know if we're below for the year. We, well, I, I think conservatively what we're reporting here is that we are below as it, as it relates to traditional visits. Uh, but when we put them all in, we don't know where we'll ultimately land. And, and truth in fact, that will, because it's not done in real time, it will be a, an, an estimate. So we're just reflecting as transparently as possible what's happening in the process to let you know where we're going to, to okay, end up. And when we, if I could, just when we implemented the telephone visits, how long ago was that? So we've been doing those for a, uh, like quite a while, actually. What we are doing now is actually uh, splitting out. Right. right. We, I understand we, that. We, please. So I think part of the challenge is we do a lot of work that is not formally done. So there are telephone visits. We're doing lots of telephone encounters. We're doing right. the consults, um, but they're not scheduled in the EHR. And so you know we are doing it, and we have to create a workaround. So now there's a button. So when you do it, providers are supposed to check the button, but we can't make it mandatory. The next-gen EHR that we're using, that's not a feature we can do. So you can imagine training every user in the system to click the button when they don't have to click the button 
is a work in progress. So I anticipate that user sort of participation will improve every month. So those numbers should be going up. Um, it is unlikely to capture 100%. So the permanent fix to this with our new integrated EHR, hopefully Epic, uh, which will be solving the problem is that we'll be able to actually schedule telephone visits capture all of the e-consults and non-traditional visits. If we move towards telemedicine, there's ways to actually schedule that in the scheduling system. Mm. Um, none of that is easily possible in Sorian right now, um, but then we won't have to do this work around and we'll be able to just capture just the data. My bigger question is, I mean, if we don't know if what impact televote visits have had on our total, we don't know what other factors might be keeping people from coming. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, for example, there's a lot of talk after the election about certain populations being afraid of institutions. And I, I don't know how we track that. I mean, this is a pretty big number to be off our game. And how much of it is the telephone visits would be really significant to know to try to discern how much of it, it might be some other factor that we need to be conscious of. So, so uh, I want to sort of make a, a, a little distinction there. This, this is, again, not a different uh, process than we've been doing. Uh, all along, it's just a capturing of that in the sense of, or, or to the end that we've been encouraging, which is we want to actually, the waiver actually encourages us to do alternative uh, types of visits, and so we're reflecting that. Uh, what, I, what, what I'll agree with is actually that we are off uh, significantly to uh, 10% uh, from where we targeted from a budget, uh, budget number of visits. I don't think those visits and um, the data that we provided several months ago uh, um, uh, didn't bear out a correlation between what we know is happening in the broader um, uh, context of uh, immigration and, um, uh, challenges and reform efforts um, uh, and actual visits in our in our clinics, namely the ones that we thought would be mostly impacted, which were our refugee clinic and our um, and our uh, thank you. Our, what was it all? Human rights clinic. Human rights clinic, and so those were the areas that we targeted as as ones where. Yeah, we might we, we might see. But I mean, don't we have a huge population that that has potentially uh, concerns because of family members' immigration status out at, at Hayward and at, at Eastmont? Sure, at but but right? what I'm saying so so this number didn't take a dip in January when all this stuff started. We've been running behind on our clinic visits oh, over oh, the course of the year. I so okay. so I want to say there's no, there's nothing that suggests, at least from our vantage point, that there has been any sort of. Uh, significant uh, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist at all as I'm clear about yeah. that well, I'm just curious what it is what, what we sure. think it might be sure so uh, I think it's a little bit tough to discern that in any objective fashion um, uh, there would only be the combination of anecdotal and whatever we can find objectively that would that might substantiate or or uh, um, uh, refute that so well, what led you to believe to to um, budget 30,000 to budget. So this was a reflection of the budget over the course of the year. So uh, the budget, what this is, is every month we take the number of visits that we budget for the full year, which that number uh, is 350,000, actually. 350,000. Last year we had 297,000 visits. It's under the So if you look at level one. You see level one oh, at the yes, top yes, here, yes, 350,000. So if you compare that number to the one that's in the column before that, 297,289, that was the total number of visits that we had in the system all of last calendar year. Right. We projected, is this a, I can't do the quick math, is that 5% or? 
Yeah, we projected a 5% increase in the number of visits that we would have over the course of the year, uh, driven by a number of factors, so provider recruitment, some clinical efficiencies, a number of other things. And so um, uh, we anticipated that we'd have 350,000 visits over the course of the year. And that truth and fact actually did include um, the non-traditional visits. And uh, you'll recall that for a while, for the year, we were not reporting the non-traditional visits when we caught that we weren't doing that. We were concerned that we would actually be disincentivizing what we wanted to promote, which is greater e-consults, greater telephonic visits, greater uh, nurse-only and other types of visits. And so uh, we're, this, this last part is an attempt to get there, but uh, the budgeted piece just takes that number, that 350000 and breaks it out over the 12-month period. So, so this number varies every month based off of the number of um, day, weekdays in a month and the number of visits that we'd expect to see over the course of those days. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. Okay. So uh, just really uh, quickly, the, the current performance, uh, as you see, uh, really good performance overall for the month to date, and most of that is, is March. Some of them are April, just based off of the reporting time frames. Uh, only two areas where we didn't uh, really perform uh, close to or, or, uh, or, or above our target. When you look year to date, it's a little bit less uh, favorable. You see more red in the next column, uh, and that reflects where we are trending for the rest of the year. So um, we're, we're at, uh, again, mostly May in some cases April. Uh, this will cycle through, so around the August time frame, we'll have all of the, uh, the fiscal year reflected here. Uh, we do anticipate that we, um, we, we don't know what's going to happen on access. We might actually hit that target. Uh, this is really not, well, it's about accountability, and so it's not sort of a gaming thing, uh, but it really, what, what I do want to point out is that uh, we will perform ahead of where we were last year. Right now, we're averaging about twenty-five to 27,000 visits a month. Uh, Year-to-date, we're at 287,000, um, and that's through May, so if we average that same amount uh, uh, for the month of June, then we will uh, we will exceed the, um, the 297,000 baseline from last year. Uh, we just might fall short, still fall short of the 350,000 or so. Uh, you see really um, um, uh, marked improvement in finance over the month, but we've been at, at the target for uh, the last two months, I believe now, and David will uh, talk in his report a little bit later about uh, why we had such remarkable uh, performance in, in, in April, uh, a release of reserves and other sorts of things. Uh, but, but year to date, we're right at, um, we're slightly above where we uh, budgeted, which was 5.8, we're at 5.9. Um, the, the waiver, we're, we had improvement over the prior month. There's still a few areas of concern uh, that we're continuing to work through. Um, the other ones are reflected uh, the, as a culmination of where we are year to date. I'll point out behavioral health is an area that's continuing. Can I Sorry. ask one thing? Yes. So this has changed to nine. Yes. And then which are the two, like, so, so we of the nine, two are now delayed? Uh, yes, that's correct. So. This is, uh, remember, um, thank you, we kept it at 10 because we wanted to keep fidelity to the uh, goal, but we did report in the target that it's now nine projects. Yeah, so so we put it there, but the 10 was what it has been year-round. Uh, the two that are del uh, uh, delayed or concerned, uh, can you speak to which two those are? So one is our project 2.6, which is around the chronic pains. We're actually we have all of the data. The data is just not mapped to the warehouse, so we are confident that within a few weeks that should actually be back on track. Um, it just is a mapping issue. And until the job is done, we didn't feel comfortable saying that we were green-lighted on that, but we fully anticipate that one. Um, and then the other one is 
really around some of our, in the primary care metric, just around some of our tobacco screening and hypertension control, and so we're actively waiting for updated data to see where we're at with that. But it doesn't reflect, you know, within each of these projects, there's six metrics, and so for most of them, it's really just one or two that are off, but it colors the entire project. Thanks for asking. Um, so, and then I'll just highlight uh, the, the other uh, two areas where we're, we're off. Uh, we've, we've been off on recruitment days all year, although we've had continued performance uh, in the last couple of months where we've either met or um, are, uh, um, improved on, or I should say uh, outperformed the, the target for the year on a month-to-day base, uh, month basis, just that we've dug ourselves quite a hole um, by the time that we got to January. And, uh, and so we're not, we're not able to come uh, down on that, but I will note that year-to-date, 78 days is about a five-day, um, or I'm sorry, six-day improvement over where we were uh, for baseline, which was last year. So uh, continue to make some good uh, progress there, but uh, point in fact, not likely to hit the goal uh, that we set, the ambitious goal we set for ourselves uh, at the beginning, beginning of the year. Uh, unless there are any other questions, I'll, 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 I'll keep going. Okay. Uh, so to budget follow-up. So the two uh, big follow-ups that I took from our uh, very uh, robust discussion in the last meeting are, um, were one to follow up on, uh, and this was one that I noted for myself, the benefit projections. Um, um, we were still, when we presented, um, uh, working on that number. We had some concerns about whether we had uh, done some um, appropriate adjustments based off of uh, changes that we had made to the budget, so we went back to take a look at that. And then the critical initiatives, uh, uh, one of the uh, continuing feedback from many of the trustees was that the way in which we uh, reflected the budgetary <coughs> impact was not um, translating well, and so we took another dig uh, with your uh, support to um, to try that again uh, and uh, uh, did some uh, follow-up with a few trustees to see if we were hitting the mark, and so we have that reflected here as well. Um, so really quickly, uh, you can't see this. Uh, I apologize, but the upshot of this is that... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tried to send this to you in advance. This is, I'm standing on my record so no one can see it. This is true. That's right. That's right. In really big shoes. Um, uh, the upshot of this is a lot of numbers. Um, uh, we actually ended up reducing the... Um, the benefit cost by uh, $3 million, uh, the projection, I should say, by $3 million. Uh, so the, the budget that you see now is um, versus the one that you saw uh, two weeks ago reflects about a $3 million reduction in, in the benefits cost um, and in terms of the projection for next year. Yes. But you must have added $3 million in expense because the, the end result numbers are the same. The operating margin and the EBITDA margin is the same as it was last time we met. No, I think, it, I think it changed by a, a percentage point. Versus 4.1. Yeah, yeah. So, so that, was the, that was the change, yeah. Uh, and, and this is largely, you know, this was a reflection of actually, you know, uh, the, the cost actually I wanted to point out, the benefits do, the, the projections do go up from uh, the number this year, uh, and that's largely because as we move more of our contract positions into full-time positions that we'd expect the benefit cost to go along with that. The, the number in terms of the ratio uh, is, uh, what is it, about 34.6? Did I say that right? 34.6? Thank you. Uh, so the number is actually stable uh, across uh, uh, this year and next year, and so um, the, the increase is really solely connected to that shift from, from uh, or I should say largely connected from that shift from contracted to uh, uh, 
uh, employed uh, wages uh, in the organization. So, uh, but on balance, the upshot was that there was a three million dollar reduction, and it took the EBITDA margin from four point one to four point two. Uh, the critical initiative budget, so we tried to clean this up a little bit. I'm not going to try to do this. Um, uh, I will ask, um, uh, because again, apologies, you didn't get to see this sooner. Um, uh, Iswari, you'll just quickly walk through some of the uh, updates that we made here, and then if there are any questions. Are we, we not have. going through the, this budget? No, I was just doing it to call out the, the, the changes. The rest of it we can walk through uh, when we get to the budget document, but so these are the only changes. Yes. Why, why don't we budget. wait till we get to the okay. budget? Well, there are some changes because in the package for the $15 million in revenue maximization, you took out the $1.6 million in, in, in expenses. So it's not the same as we were given here. These should be the same documents. I would really like you to do sure. this during the budget oh, that's portion. Fine. That's fine. We'll do, it. we'll do it in the budget. These should be the same documents, but we can do it with that document. Okay. All right. So Maybe if you want to, I would suggest um, that you make a copy of that. I can pull it up here, but... I mean, that's where I got it. It's just the meeting. Right. No, exactly. You're looking at the same thing that, yeah. that's in well, it wasn't so the same. No, this... So, so I, I apologize. We'll, we'll have to figure out what happened here, but, but this this was the revised document that we put together, so... Uh, but so. you might want to maybe hand it out or send it out or something. That's not... Uh, no, I'm saying we, we'll, we'll go with that one because that should be the final document, so then maybe <coughs> this one didn't end up being the latest one, but we'll go through it when we get to the budget part of it. Okay. Okay, so we'll go through it when we get to the budget presentation. All right, and that concludes my report. Okay, uh, I am getting a request here for just a short recess. Okay. So let's recess for five minutes. So recess, please. Thank you. Oh,
I'd like to bring us back to order, please. Thank you. Um, we will move to consent. The item C on the consent is the approval of the minutes. I'll move. Thank you. Do I have a second? Second. Thank you. Are there any questions on the approval of the minutes? Hearing none, all those in favor? Aye. 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 Great. Thank you. Uh, we'll move to the second item. Action item is the extension of the contract with Traditions <coughs> Behavioral Health. This item did not, it's not on consent because it did not go through the Finance Committee. So uh, do we have any questions on this? Yes. When are things, when are contracts? When Why don't you make a motion and then we'll, we can open. Thank you. Second. Thank you, Tracy. Um, questions? Yeah. When do contracts go before finance and when do they not? So generally speaking, our practice is to have all uh, contracts that require board approval to go through the Finance Committee. Um, and the times when that doesn't happen is if something um, either is unexpected or is miscalculated, which causes a contract not to be able to go to the Finance Committee. And depending upon the timing that's necessary to deal with a particular issue, if it cannot wait until the next Finance Committee meeting, then it's typically presented to the Board as an action item, not as part of the consent agenda. Does it happen very often? It happens, I believe this is the second time um, in the past year that we brought something directly to the board that did not first go through the uh, Finance Committee. So it doesn't happen all that often. And, uh, you know, typically the situation is where, you know, perhaps there's an expectation that you're going to get something resolved, you know, where there's been ongoing discussions and then all of a sudden it's, you know, you realize that it's not going to happen, but you have another deadline that you have to deal with, and that's uh, the issue that we were dealing with with this one. But, but Ira, you know that it's the exception, not the rule, and so. Yes, I can. Yes, thank you. Yes, I can attest to that. Okay. Uh, any questions on the item? Thank you. Uh, all those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you. That item passes. We'll move down now to um, item number, action item G, the annual budget. Uh, I'm going to turn this over to to David to, to walk us through. Um, I, I, we have our slides here, obviously, uh, uh, and unlike my slides, you have had access to these, and I appreciate that. Uh, so uh, we're hoping that you know, we can deal with this on an exception basis with, with any sort of remaining questions, uh, primarily, uh, uh, as it's, you know, we've uh, done this uh, a couple of times with only a few modifications since our last meeting. Uh, but, but I'll ask David to, to walk through those. What do you mean exception cases? Meaning if there are any uh, remaining questions, if we can focus on those versus doing a kind of de novo presentation the way we did last last week, which took quite a while. So, so we want to, just in respect for your time and, and uh, the, the other items on the agenda, we expect that we could uh, move a little bit more expeditiously, but, but certainly uh, address any remaining questions that exist. Uh, uh, so you're just going to highlight the change? Uh, so David will walk through and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, highlight changes where they exist. Uh, but any questions you have about anything, we'll, uh, we'll address those. Yeah, I'd like to point your attention to. Um, let me turn this on. Uh, to 
the package that was handed out, we thought it'd be nice for everybody to have a uh, hardbound <coughs> copy of the budget. Much, much of all of this information has actually been presented to either the Finance Committee or the Board once or twice before. And we have uh, <coughs> updated it with the latest information. So under the first tab is the, um, the PowerPoint. Uh, and I'm going to be talking primarily from page 11 of the PowerPoint. Uh, but we also wanted to point out that behind that next tab where it says narrative, we have um, <coughs> management's write-up on the budget, along with various key schedules, uh, staffing, productivity, benefits, insurance, variety of areas. And then uh, behind that, we have uh, detailed uh, reports by strategic business units, analysis, commentary, variety of other reports, detailed volume projections, and then finally at the very end, the uh, accountability report, which breaks down the budget by department, where you can see total expenses and total FDs. So uh, if we could go back to that page 11 under the first tab, which is the uh, summary budget. Uh, the primary change is actually the one that uh, Del Vecchio mentioned, which is the um, uh, <coughs> reduction in benefit expenses, which we caught on final review. And the effect of that was to uh, increase the um, Can I stop you? You know, it's really not fair to present <coughs> totally different numbered material. I mean, we have these things in advance for a reason. You know, I took notes on them in advance for a reason. I spent five hours of my personal time for a reason, and yet you're talking off a, a, a presentation that's, that's different than the one we were given. Okay. I mean, why are we doing that? Why, what's the use of getting stuff in advance if you're going to plunk down something like totally different um, I, I don't get it. I mean, um, I mean I'm, I'm on page 53 of the board book. So why don't we do that? Actually, I don't, I mean, we, we, this is, this it's is. Just, I mean, I know it's kind no, it's of irritating. Actually. My it's, jelly beans are wearing off. But, so, um, <laughs> it's totally okay. It's just. This, this, this is an attempt to provide additional uh, information or provide it to you in a, in a binder format, but let's, let's I mean, go we're with we're all trying to be consent, I mean, board members that care about the organization I take agree. personal time to be so that we do our fiduciary duty. And totally agree. We're not we're not refuting it. So if we can if we can do that then, then okay. I think we can yeah. we can absolutely move forward. To to okay. Thank you. Uh, okay. So we're gonna put this aside for now. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So in the budget impact um, the cost of revenue maximization is uh, deleted from the budget impact. Is there a reason for that? Um, we, we determined that the, the cost gentlemen, what, what page? Fifty-three. In, 53 in the, of the board book. Of the board book. Under critical initiatives. Budget impact. Yes. Revenue maximization. <coughs> Anyway, the, uh, the uh, answer to your question is that when we reviewed this, we determined that those expenses were already built into the budget. They weren't new. So okay. uh, if you look at the uh, budget for revenue maximization, it's actually, I think, up 3%, which is normal CPI. So we will not see another contract come before this board next year to enhance revenue? No, you will see contracts because we built in the budget $2 million, uh, to be used for, um, you know, consulting type help, 
and we've, and we've reviewed an internal plan on how that might be allocated. We're not prepared to bring those forward yet. Why isn't it an expense then? Uh, it is included in the expense, but it was <clears throat> because it wasn't viewed as um, an incremental addition. It's actually less than what it was prior to year. So we didn't put it in as an expense. So uh, on that slide, I, uh, my question is, you know, and I had that the same question as, as Anthony, but why are some of the um, the critical initiatives have FTEs associated with them and re and costs or expenses, and why do some of them not? You explained why some of them have FTEs and no expenses, but why do? Why does the EHR clinical standardization, for example, have no FTEs but a four million dollar expense? Is that just for the purchase, for the for the the hardware? Um, the um, <coughs> the uh, the majority of the EHR project is going to be capitalized. Okay. So there's not going to be additional um, FTE operating expenses. Um, and the four million is what we thought it would take to get it done using writing consultants to start things. You're looking at the budget impact page still, Correct. Tracy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, Swari called me, um, and we had a lengthy discussion about this because I had many of the exact same issues you did. I was going across. The initiative and saw FTEs and expense related and it didn't it just didn't compute to it me. It does not foot as we it would say in the finance. Yes. It, no, it still doesn't but what, what I what I drew the conclusion after after the conversation is they were trying to because the board had asked you know what are each of these initiatives going to the impact of them the budget impact mm -hmm. you know what are you going to spend what are you yeah. going to gain etc and I think what was happening is that they're not discrete initiatives. Correct. They blend in many ways. Mm -hmm. And so you can't do prime without doing ambulatory. Yeah. You can't do, and so I think in an attempt, this is my interpretation, in an attempt to satisfy the board's questioning, justifiable questioning, they try to break this down in a linear way, and it is a more, um, it's not discreet. So what I took away is that they believe that there is going to be um, a 23 mil $22 million um, benefit to the organization when all of these initiatives are implemented over the next year, that there will be that kind of revenue coming in. And some of it will come because of lean, and some of it become of access and ambulatory, et cetera. The uh, initial cost of the people involved are going to be the seven, the seven, eight there. What I would be concerned about and what I asked. So I think that's what you're intending to do. I'm seeing a nod here. Yes, okay. Right. It is hard to parse out uh, just like how Yes. So, so it was not discrete things because they all fold together. But I, I do think one of the things that would be important to have happen is that 
and, and I tried to I, I, I tried to get this to you last time and you answered it as an administrator as opposed to to the board and I think mm -hmm. we talked about this mm -hmm. there, there's got to be some mechanism that as the months go by you have an opportunity to tell us how far off we are on that bottom line because it, we can anticipate if in fact and we're already seeing our monthly access and the number of visits and good old uh, the feds and a whole lot of other things mm -hmm. this stuff may not materialize mm -hmm. and before we get ourselves into another bind the board ought to see some kind of progress relative to this number that you believe it, you're going to get mm -hmm. based on what I think are good quality uh, targets and processes that you're, in, you're involving the organization. Right. So initially, when I came into this, I thought, well, you ought to take this one out or you take this one out. And I've come to believe, based on the conversations, that you can't take one out and I think and Kinney has really helped me with this. You can't take one out and because it doesn't it's not discrete. It, they all blend together. But how do we know that it's working and how will we know in enough time to make a decision to say we gotta cut, you know, we gotta cut some people loose or we've got to stop this project or we gotta turn Epic away or we do whatever those things happen to be. So am I making sense here? Yes. So, so in our yes. pre uh, okay. I, I don't necessarily agree that automatically, because they're intertwined, that everything has to be done. Because you can be incremental and still get results. It's not either or. Um, you can nuance this if you wanted to. But, in, in, but for argument's yes. sake, I agree with totally okay. And I, okay. I, I appreciate okay. your efforts and clarity. Okay. And I'm hoping that we'll have monthly benchmarks on this starting next month. Um, finance and then onto the board so we can track this so you will but I, I want to be clear what the this is and and and, and what the you know the indicators are so uh, appreciate it and you you stated it nicely uh, I tried uh, in the last meeting to say each of these initiatives are multi like it's not even just that they are not discrete in terms of their connection with with um, the other initiatives uh, but within each one is like a series of things and right. so in these series of things as as, as David and, and Ishwari are trying to point out uh, there are some things that are already sort of in our budget there are people doing this work that will do this work and so to to call out the cost or the FTE that's associated with it might suggest to you that this is all new or if we put this in a document we'd be explaining well you know a third of this is new a third of this isn't you know or, or, or whatever that is and so we're really trying to do a net on both the revenue side as well as the expense side and that takes a little bit of work to do it is not a neat process and this is all embedded in the budget itself so what I want to say to you is that what you will see and to your point uh, Trustee Thompson as rolled into the reporting now is uh, as far as next the next presentation is going to be what we're looking at from a balanced perspective across our pillars in the organization so you'll see a balanced scorecard that says these initiatives are intended to have results that will impact us financially and non-financially in terms of access in terms of uh, patient experience in terms of um, 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 safety and other uh, other sorts of things what how are we trending on those things but 
to your point about, you know, I understand there's a, a always an a overarching concern about the finances of the organization. What will you see in terms of those metrics that will say that the finances are as stable as we believe they need to be and are reflecting that we are performing or within our budget for the organization? So, so when we say that this, in that case, it won't be on an initiative by initiative basis because those things are going to vary over the course of the year. Uh, and many, many of which, like Prime and other stuff, we don't dictate these. They're dictated to us and we're just performing along the trajectory and we know when we know how that's going to go. Um, um, but we'll be reporting to you on an aggregate basis what are these balance numbers looking like and we will show you what that looks like, at least as we're projecting it today with the expectation that this could change based off of discussion today, subsequent discussion with relevant leads of finance, of quality, of HR, uh, what are the metrics that you want to see uh, uh, that would actually give you a sense that we are performing in a balanced way and that you're knowing as soon as possible when we need to be doing something differently and that we're then projecting to you what those options are to do. So. What are the risks in the budget from your point of view? Well, I think uh, like any, with any budget, the, the risks are, are, you know, that, that the budget isn't as, uh, a budget is a, is a projection of what you think the future is going to be. The, if, the, if the projection of what the future is going to be, whether internally or externally, is off, uh, then I think that's that's one of the risks. Uh, I don't think with uh, respect to everything that's happening with uh, the um, uh, with Medicaid uh, this year that that um, that this budget will be uh, adversely impacted. I should say from the larger standpoint. So you don't think we should have a provision for ACA repeal? I don't. I don't think it'll be in that context. I, 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 I don't think it'll be in that context because the way in which the legislation is is uh, 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 progressing, some of the things are expected to take hold in a, num a, a few years. There are some things, yes, there are some things that are embedded in the in the current ACA as we move forward. One of the things we've been talking about is a Medicaid managed care rule. So that is one of the ways in which our supplemental funding will be adjusted. Uh, this year, and we're actually looking at that. So, so there's some considerations that we're making in terms of reserves for certain things. There are some considerations we're looking at in terms of how various payments might come in and be impacted. Uh, that that as we know those with more clarity. I mean, the deadline for actually the state submitting a uh, or having a plan approved um, uh, was June 30th for next year, and now we know that the state is actually not going to submit that plan. I think until this week. So the likelihood that it's going to be approved by June 30 is probably no, but when it does actually get approved, it'll be retro. So that's the type of thing where we won't know what that plan will work out to be and its impact on us until we know. And that's not something we can control for, uh, but we can actually adjust for when we do know where the, where the signs are pointing to. So, so um, I, you know, what I reflected earlier is that this budget uh, uh, does, as, as we called out, actually call for us to spend a little bit more than we are projected to earn this year. So we're actually moving in a slightly uh, uh, um, different direction for this year. But I hope and anticipate that this will be a one-time aberration uh, for us to move and advance some of the things that we need to do for the organization uh, this year, not the least of which is the big EHR thing that you 
uh, uh, just heard about, but that uh, over the course of time we will get back to a point where in, 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 in next year's budget where this won't be the case and uh, that we'll be moving in a direction that's uh, uh, more aligned in terms of what we anticipate revenues being and what we anticipate expenses. If you look at page 55 of the presentation, it shows our revenue growth going down by a percentage point every year for the next five, five years and our EBITDA margin coming back up again, which says to me, um, you're cutting expenses to meet the EBITDA, the EBITDA forecast. Um, and to cut expenses, it means cutting people. So if we're hiring 400 next year, how many are we gonna have to cut to make our goal for 2019? So I... It doesn't mean cutting people. It means that the revenue well, is not. Well, the revenue is going down. Right, the expenses aren't growing as as fast, or aren't going. We grew eight percent this year, and you're asking for eight percent next year too. It means sixteen percent two years expense growth. Uh, we're our not. expenses have grown about eight percent this year, and our projected uh, growth for. Oh, for for last year and this year, correct. yes, that's correct. But for next year, no, and that was the thing mm -hmm. we're talking. So we are so talking next year because we're not in the budget year. I'm sorry, correct. that's true. But I, when you okay. say the next year, I was thinking even beyond that. So, so yes, you're correct. Temporally, you're correct. The subsequent year, though, one of the things that I pointed mm -hmm. out was the, some of the big initiatives around managed care and around EHR uh, continued continuation in terms of the. Uh, implementation as well as kind of uh, the uh, operating costs to support it going forward that we are going to be taking very purposeful actions this year to look at how we bend this curve of, uh, of FTE growth and other sorts of growth in the organization to look at more transferring of skill set and individuals so that there, there isn't as as incremental a growth and I think I'm I'm really confident that it won't be uh, that large or as large as it has been last year and this year uh, uh, based off of this effort because I think a lot of the opportunity really lies in this space. Uh, if it weren't for things that I think we need to course correct for this year, I'd actually expect this year to be a slight reduction, but I don't think it will be uh, just because of those things. But I do expect that next year we won't have that. And as we move forward to some of these other things, what we'll be talking about is some modest incremental uh, improve or, or increase in staffing uh, to support these initiatives, but more a transfer of staff and cost around uh, training, cost around continuing education to move people into different roles than what they currently occupy so that we can keep staff uh, in place. We are not at this stage projecting any uh, reduction in our workforce, in, in, particularly in any substantial way connected to anything we're doing. Um, you're projecting that with flattening revenue that you're going to find work for these people to do after you hire and change their roles? I do, yeah. yeah. I, when I went to business school, I never heard that you hire 400 people and then you conduct a lean exercise to make sure they're being efficient. So it's a unique way to do it. So no, I think so, so. In fairness, uh, Trustee Thompson, it's not just the, the the combination of the the FTE. I mean, it's not just the FTEs. Uh, there's obviously the FTE part, but there's also the the non-FTE part. So there's supply costs. There are non-personal or non-FTE related costs, and those are there's plenty of opportunity for us across the board to look at those things. So, so I don't. If you if you're if you're thinking uh, that that it's all in the FTE uh, component, then I would say that that's. That's not what we're, how we're approaching this. So, okay. that way. Uh, I'm going to ask, are there other questions? Thank you, Anthony, and I'm sure you'll have some more, but yeah. let, let's see if there are. Maria, do you yeah, have I, I just want to be sure I understand Heather's needs. I want to be sure I understand how to read a certain line item on the uh, page that, uh, page 53. Am I understanding this correctly, that the Revenue Maximization Initiative 
somehow involves either 35 new employees or reduction of 35, and that from that we net 15 million. Help me understand that, because that is the largest share of the high. It's a under shift. The, so the, yeah, we want 35 is is bringing uh, functions that are currently outsourced right. in house and hiring our own staff to do them. For example, the billing at <clears throat> Alameda Hospital is currently handled by an external firm. Okay. We have issues with performance. We'd like to bring that in house. Okay, but but yeah. let me ask this: Does this include the benefits that we pay to an internal employee versus a contract? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. And so is that 35 people that we're talking uh, about? 35 FTEs, yes. But if, if you look at the expense budget for revenue cycle, as I said, it's only up about 3% year over year. So it's converted, it's reducing contracted costs uh -huh. and increasing. Okay. Okay, I, I'm gonna marinate over that one for a bit, thanks. Um, I just wanna, I, I really appreciate Michelle's opening kind of opening comments on this as well as Anthony's and, and I I admit I also looked at this as a line item and then and it just occurred to me when yeah when Maria said that I went wait line item there's increases in how can you have an increase in FTEs and an increase in revenue <laughs> that does not yeah. make any sense yeah. at all and you know I'm used to seeing a line item budget which Correct. just says this here's this program here's the functions in the program here's the FTEs for the function and here's the cost and the revenue usually it doesn't even show up until later because I'm in government so you hope there's revenue but it yeah. doesn't always happen I really so, I'm sorry go ahead I didn't no 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 that. I mean that's yeah. just my my kind of my point and I and you and I talked about this because I had initially had at the same questions and I I'm not sure that this <clears throat> clarifies it any better but <laughs> I don't think it does. honestly can I, can I can I say something so so really I do feel like I mean I I felt like we collectively were in a much clearer space uh, last week when we went through so, so this the critical initiatives all happens within the budget so when I walked through the budget and showed you by business unit and area of the organization where these things exist and you could see where the pluses and minuses were and why this all kind of mapped out uh, that that was clearer than to try to then synthesize it based off of these specific initiatives into one document. And I, I really feel like the document or that particular page is just, it's it's a stress, an overstressed way of trying to do this. And, and obviously it's creating a, a fair amount of confusion and, and, and angst, uh, I would say, amongst them. So, so I really want to attribute that to the, the tool itself, which we try to do, but it's just difficult to do. I, I would just put it that way. And, and I hope that as you look through the rest of the budget and recall the very robust discussion that we had that really showed you where things were and where, you know, where they were management, not management, clinical, not clinical, that that was a clearer way for you to see exactly what's happening here. This is just an effort to try to show you in a different way that, quite honestly, I think is, is not working. So. Well, uh, and, and, and so what I would say here, it, it, to your initial point, is we went through this budget and, and I said, and Joe agreed, or Joe said, and I agreed. Wait, where's primary care in Alameda? And so, it, just looking at that one item, we you went through the SBUs, you went through the critical initiatives, and you said, okay, here's what the costs associated make. We want you to prioritize you the board. You said that to us, then you came back. You have this, and and I can look at that particular. That is the one critical initiative access 
that is the, the ambulatory care in Alameda, and, or primary care in Alameda, and that is a, a very straightforward line item there. There's going because to be it's one an aberration. That one exactly. lends itself very neatly to yeah. because it's right. just one thing. Right. But and all so, the rest of these are like four or five projects in one big. And project. I and I completely understand. And I'm and I'm getting that now. And it may be if we look at it because that's the only. Well, also the the, the EHR and clinical stand. That's not even a single thing. That's. Mm -hmm. But if we just look at that as the the one thing there that is that is new and that we can look at as a revenue versus expense and, and clear cut and then everything else is, you know, as you said, confusing. It's and sausage. <laughs> sausage. It might taste good, but you don't want to see how it's made. That's, that's a good one. I, I think also coupled with this was a concern that you and the administrators, who I believe are really top-notch. I mean, I, I've said that before. I think you have chosen some really good people. And I can see the organization, just in the four years I've been here, really move. I, I think you've chosen good people. And sometimes good people bite off more than they can chew. And because they're good and they want to get stuff done, so part of this problem of wanting to see the initiatives mm -hmm. was a concern, and I will speak for Gary because he and I have both talked about this, that um, the organization is going to be involved in a huge project to implement the health record. Correct. And as a result, we were concerned that some of these initiatives that you're going to take on were too many. and so as a part of asking, well, what's this connected to? You started breaking it down into budget things, mm -hmm. and I think that's where we started getting a little it's, off. It falls under its it way. It falls under its way, and so there was a whole lot of that. Um, ultimately, I think the thing that's very important, and you may not get a, a uniform consensus on this budget, and that's okay. What I do hope would happen in future is that this staff and you and the people who are working will not hesitate to come forward because of all of this if, in fact, things are not materializing in the way that you would hope they would and feel comfortable enough to come to this team of people that we're working with to say, you know, we overestimated or whatever, as opposed to waiting too late, and then we all collectively find ourselves in a bind. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the way that, that, that will be our approach. So I have a totally different view in reading this, because you've been on the finance and going through the two budget readings and seeing it by S, oh sorry, seeing it by SPU and things. This gave me a, like a very high level picture of, you know, what are the things, how many people are in there, what's this cost, what are the savings, like in a very, very broad general sense. So this was actually reassuring to me in that sense. And maybe I come to it with a different mindset where I can see some of the interconnections. So it's harder for me to say drop this or drop that because so much of this, the even if I think Olean is maybe, but 
it's tied to prime it's tied to the other yeah. things if you don't do it now and you've learned something and come back a year later and say hey you know what you guys have been doing something this way now let's turn it around you can't do that like it's change has to happen at the foundational level so i'm not clinging that much to the ebitda margin because my metrics of success are different i'm taking the ebitda as uh, you know or the margin as much but the other foundational what are those so what i take from here is that i'm getting it from these figures mm -hmm. the, the kind of specifics that i want and i'm getting the big picture is how exactly what uh, trustee lawrence said is that in the oversight and the you know the tracking mm -hmm. and things because i also feel the process has been thoughtful but in that tracking of being able to like really e be able to um, Uh, give that feedback loop to the board mm -hmm. to me it's easier to have somebody say we are not, you know i would feel more alarmed if you all showed us on paper that you are going to give, give us a 6% ebitda because we are asking for it or we are saying it when you know that we, there's no way we can yeah. reach it like let me show you revenues on paper and it's not going to happen but just to kind of appease us so there's a degree of honesty that's here that's coming and saying you know we can do it this year and so that's why we'll hold your feet to the fire to say maybe not this year we are very worried but we are totally i i i speak for myself i understand it but how do we keep that oh, the tracking and things coming not just to the finance but it's it are the full board deserves to know that at a, a at a level so we might have to go back to having much more finance in the full board meeting than we had in the past but that's the upside or downside or upside <laughs> of of you know uh, of this foundational work that we are doing so i think the process has been thoughtful and i see some benefit to me in in this document so it's not been all a waste of effort <laughs> thank you king kenny i appreciate that um we just Yes, please. I was going to say we don't have a motion yet. No. So, I know. <laughs> Should we have a motion to accept and then have discussion? Would you? Would I'll let Maria finish and then we we'll do that. I, I just wonder, David, for those of us who are not finance gurus, um, could you provide just the narrative on the line item for total debt service? I'm looking at just that line item. It's on page. Uh, Let's see, 55, the summary financial plan. Um, I'd, I'd like you to just help narrate. We have 102.5 in parentheses in a column not marked, and then the actual is 17, and then it goes to projected. Can you, can you just help me understand that one line item? Sure. Um, the, um, the organization has certain financial commitments that do not go through the income statement, but nevertheless require cash. So we have to reflect those. Uh, and so in each of those years... An example, David. Um, we have a requirement with the county to make payments on a pension obligation, which is approximately 13 to 14 million. We have a requirement to reduce the um, availability on the line of credit by 5 million a year. For those type of things, um, that's what that's what these are. So, uh, in the fiscal year we're talking about 2018, we expect we have to make payments of 18.8 million. Now, I say have to the five million reduction. As long as we're below, 
you know, we don't we actually have... We have a wiggle room. We, yeah, we, so, so we'll put a wiggle room. Um, the 102 on the left is just, it's uh, 102 million. It's just adding up everything to the right. Okay. It's just for my benefit. Okay. Yeah. And, and so in 2019, that goes up quite a bit. And I just want to understand from a yes. strong stewardship mindset of trying mm -hmm. to live within our means, mm -hmm. I want to be very mindful. How do we justify to our board of supervisors that we jump up a little bit there? Okay, so when we um, renegotiated the line of credit, um, and actually even before that, there was a commitment that um, beginning in 2019, Alameda Health System would begin paying $7 million a year on the bonds for the new hospital. Okay. When we renegotiated, we said, you know, we know we have to do that, but how about, we're gonna, we think we're going to need that money. How about if instead of just giving it to you as debt service, we put it into a capital reserve fund, and then we can ask for it back. And assuming the county agrees, they would give the money back to us. And that's what we've done several lines down, that $7 million in the same year. Uh -huh. See, it, there was nothing in 2018. Right. That's representing right. that money coming back the other way. So this is this is actually written into the the Agreed. revised agreement. debt agreement. Yeah, that yeah. we would actually start contributing to it. And uh, just to uh, do this in a temporally connected fashion, that is the amount that or the money that we are intending with your concurrence and support to send to the board that we need to uh, uh, telegraph now that we will need as a part of the funding for the electronic health record over the ten-year horizon. Okay. Thank you. Okay, can I have a motion for this? I'll move. Thank you. Thank you. Um, any more discussion? Any more questions? Yes. There. This is kind of like a, just a, I don't know whether it's a housekeeping problem or what, but if you can get down to page 152 of the packet, these are sort of little detail things. There's a list of specialty clinics at Highland. I can't find surgery there anywhere, and there's, they see a lot of patients, so. There's, there are different ones, so there's breast surgery. No, there's, there's breast surgery, there's vascular surgery, but there's no general surgery and no trauma and. With a surgery. You're looking for You mean the general surgery clinics? Yeah. She's. They're not in that list. I just it, couldn't understand. correct that and there are a lot of really misleading information in the way you present um, changes in numbers you go in brackets and increases and then in other pages you say brackets or decreases um, I'm a finance guy and I it took me twice reads um, you know go, go to page 79 
um, you went from, let's say, other provider services, 40 million to 44 million, net change negative uh, 3.5. It's not, that's positive. Yeah, we, we know we have an if issue. If you go to page 87, um, some of the biggest increases in costs in this budget show are reflected as negative numbers in here. Totally wrong. And I know it wasn't done on purpose, but it's really uh, totally inappropriate to be misrepresenting numbers uh, that way. Yeah. Yeah, she's treating an in increase as a negative. The disconnect is that's a positive number. Yeah, but it's, this isn't an income statement. This is a snapshot. And unless you do this for a living, you can get really confused on what's positive and what's negative. And matter of fact, you've made explanation on some of these charts that parentheses equal increase, and then you go back to other pages and it's parentheses equal decrease. Um, Trustee Thompson, if I there ver are there variations in accounting processes here? No. I mean, what do you mean? No. If you sh move it on, if you sh present it on one page as a statement, <coughs> these things are presented accurately. If you extrapolate them and put them on one page and they're not in context, I think it's misleading. So, so but not nefariously so. It's just confusing. Yeah, we, well, we can agree on the so right. It's it's, time I just, yeah. it's a process of confusion. Yeah, so, yeah, okay. But I mean, do you see that your question has an impact on the bottom line, or is it in the presentation of the way it, it it's coming to us? I just think people can be confused if they're trying to look page by page and get a handle of the budget okay. where our biggest increases are. They present as negative numbers when they're really increases. Okay. Again, I, there's not, I, there's, I know it's not nefarious at all, but it's just confusing and I think it should be consistent. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, perhaps you guys can make note of that and yeah. you'll go back as you as you process. I was just going to add absolutely. Take your feedback and we'll make that change and we'll, uh, I understand the no, confusion. No, so I appreciate the comment and it's always learning for us. Yes. Uh, so we will make that change and we will make sure that it's not um, confusing in any way. Okay. And th thank you. You, you know, you, your, your great finance mind will pick up these huh. things far more than than an art major will, so I, I, I do, I do, I do appreciate that. Okay, we have a motion on the floor. Can I'm going to ask you some questions. questions I think are important, and then Absolutely. you can go, and then no. we'll promise, you know, there's no one That's who okay. wants to get out of here more than I do, um, after this lifelong budget process. Um, are you really comfortable and certain with the, uh, with the line of credit and the long-term forecast for the line? As I sit here today, uh, with what we have uh, and, and what I know, there, there are some uncertainties. So the biggest probably should is we the be prepared for them in terms of running scenarios and having that available to us as we see month to month. So that as uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was, um, I think last uh, weekly communication, I sent out a note on the repayment of the Medi-Cal waiver. Um, we have a whole series of reserves. Uh, there may be a need to, to make a repayment in the near future. I think it's time to get the board educated on what's in those reserves and what the potential timing might be, how that could affect the line of credit. Yeah. Do we have other options to finance the uh, EMR? 
Well, I think that's the work to be done over the next few months. I mean, if you, if you look at the financial plan, which is on 55, it basically says over the next three years, we're going to spend $60 million on the EMR. Okay. Now, both of the proposals we've, we've received for the EMR say we're going to need 150, so we're 90 million short. So we either need to go back and renegotiate a longer payment term, use the line of credit, you know, do something else. So I think that's, you know, something really the Finance Committee ought to be looking at while we're getting ready for the final approval on the EMR. So when we do come to that vote, we know how we're going to pay for it. Can I just end with uh, thanking? This has been kind of a brutal process. <laughs> um, and, uh, you for know, you or for them? No, for them. I mean, it's been brutal for me, for me too, because we know we're kind of powerless. You know, it's not our job to delve into the pick a pay of a budget but overall. Um, but our finance staff, uh, Jody and Ishwari, are just amazing in our C-suite. I certainly have tremendous faith in the people running this uh, this organization. Um, I won't be voting yes for this budget because very few organizations um, that are running efficiently and well decide to step back and say, well, you know, we're going to catch up and have lower margins on the come with an organization that's really never had a history of recovering from that without a crisis. And so I worry about that. And I've talked to some other people who do this for a living and, you know, kind of agree with me. But it said with love, and I'm here to work with uh, whatever happens, good or bad. I'm here to work with the organization. Thank to you, continue to Thank you. Our Thank you, Trustee really Thompson. Honored to work with, uh, with, uh, Thank you. Well, Thank with you. Anthony's comments, I'll support the budget. But I will hope that um, I will support the budget as a as a budget as a as a budget. What you call? It. Okay. Well, let's budget this, and we'll say this is what we hope for. This is what we plan for, and this is what we're going to put into place. It's not the budget. No, it's the budget. No, it is the budget. But Anthony, you know, if you see all those FTEs, there is no way. I'm on the HR committee. I spend a whole time. Oh, we you know, there no, there's no way that we're going to be able to fulfill this every every line of this budget. And I, what I want is from what Michelle says as well. I want you to work towards this, and I see the revenues increasing. I really do. I see. I see that if we don't do any of this, we're going to be hit with. The changes in managed care, the changes in population health, the changes in, in reimbursement from especially locally, but also federally, and we won't be prepared. So in terms of preparation, we really need to be looking forward like this budget does. Um, I am also hoping that we'll get timely updates, but I also know that Joe Becchio and, and David and the whole team will make adjustments as we go on. So I'm going to support it as a optimal budget. and. Um, you know, I suspect that we'll be seeing changes as soon as the first quarter and what is happening and what's going, going on here. But they, you know, we have to start somewhere. Okay, I'm, I'm going to call. I'm going to call for a vote now. Um, all those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? No. No. Okay. Thank you. Did you get the no's and the yeses? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, Okay, on this agenda, um, I also see on here, uh, H, were you going to do dashboard, or was that your earlier? No, no, no. We actually had a, a what we hoped. So everybody bring this <laughs> to every meeting from now on, and we will yep. go through. <laughs> okay, hold on just a second. So I. There's one other. The item is a little. Oh, actually. David, the executive report. Since we're in the budget, 
the, the agenda is yeah. a little off. Sorry. So, um, are you doing anything on the? Ex I see your name here as mm. item I. You were supposed to be talking from seven to seven ten. <laughs> um, uh, we will have statements from May next week. We're working on the insurance renewals. Uh, we're tracking the cash forecast very carefully to make sure we're in compliance with the agreement at June 30th. Um, and that's, oh, we had a very good presentation to Asera last week. We haven't exactly accepted our request, but they've moved it to have their management team evaluate the legal implications. Really? Well, wow. and that's another, I mean, that could in the budget. Yeah, yes. that, that could, that could really. I have a happy man. That could really help there. Good deal. Okay, so now we have it's eight o'clock, and um, can you give me a little more information about the dashboard? Yes. What? Not the information about the dashboard. Can you tell me how long you think that item is going to be? Because I may ask to have it held. I, if I, if I'll, I'll, I'll uh, with, with your support, uh, basically this was to give you a, uh, an overview of what we are proposing as metrics that we would look at over next year. The process that we laid out in the presentation is that after this discussion, we'd have uh, discussions with the relevant uh, uh, committee leads, so finance chair, HR, and uh, quality uh, to get their input as well, and then we're going to bring this back to you next month. So. Actually, um, well, I think we've already shared this. Yes. It's on board effects. Yes, and I will so also send a pr the presentation that I intended to share, which had more detail, right. which will inform you a little bit more on the metrics and why we chose them. Could, okay. you can, could, we, could we then, because I, I do think that it will be, if you're asking the board to give you some input relative to the metrics, mm -hmm. I believe that this is a good 30-minute, 30 35-minute conversation. Sure. So I will ask that you bring this back and take this off this agenda now. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll bring it, we were planning to bring it back for your approval at the end of June, so we can bring it back in the first meeting, or sorry, July. We can bring it back in the first meeting of July and, uh, and talk to you then, and actually maybe before then, where we have committee meetings, we'll already have right. discussed be, with those. That, that would be great. We advanced it more than what you currently see, so please stay so with us, because again, yeah. what you have today in Board Effect will take on as we build towards it will change. But please uh, bear that in mind as you review that. Uh, okay. Yeah, Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I appreciate that. Sure. Okay. So uh, I think we have covered then. Uh, we have committee reports. Uh, we have uh, just the one, the quality. It's written report. Any comment that you need? Any? There was a correction, but it was corrected. So. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, now. I am about to, uh, I need to give some explanation. Um, Michael, do you want to do that or do you want me to? I'm going to get ready to adjourn this meeting. The board does not know about a special meeting. They're just getting this. Um, yes, so we did post the agenda for a special meeting to uh, have the board approve a resolution. Uh, this did not make it onto the original agenda. This is actually to be taken by the board prior to June 30th to ensure that uh, retiree health benefits uh, are allocated uh, from the ACERA account. So at this point, you know, we are asking uh, or we are recommending that uh, the regular meeting be adjourned. Uh, 
open the special board meeting for you to consider the resolution. The clerk has provided a copy of the documents to everybody, and I can walk you through at that point. Okay, thank you. Uh, are there any more com public public comments? No. Okay, then the regular board meeting is adjourned. And you'll call this meeting to order, the special meeting to order? Yes, sir, I will do that. Bossing me around. I <laughs> am um, calling to order the special board of trustees meeting, and it's an action re requiring the adoption of the resolution for retiree benefits. A single item on the agenda. I moved up. Were you going to say something? If there were any questions that anyone had uh, regarding this item, this is a recurring, uh, those of you who are on the board last year recall, and essentially this takes a portion of the ACERA contribution designated specifically for retiree health benefits. It's an action that needs to be taken uh, each year, and so the money has already been given to ACERA. This just allows them to allocate it uh, to the 401H account, so there's no financial, no fiscal impact. It's money that's already been paid out. Um, I, I am going to make a, a public comment, and, and this may be chair peculiarities, but um, I hope that this, when agenda item doesn't get on the regular agenda, and there's whatever reason, new people, a mistake, etc., that we do not use the vehicle of a special board meeting to correct those issues. I believe in my heart, having worked with the Brown Act for 35 years, that that was not the intent of a special meeting. Now, my attorney and I, we disagree on this one, but I don't believe that that's the intent. So uh, I just want that for the record, mm -hmm. and I will ask for a motion. I'll move. All those in favor? Thank you, sorry. I beg your pardon. All those in favor? Aye. Closed. Thank you. Uh, and, okay. and just one, before you adjourn, just to be clear, um, all of the trustees present for the regular meeting were also present for the special meeting since we did not actually call Oh, them. thank you. We didn't call the roll. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. Okay. Did you get that? Yes. We're, we're all okay. enthusiastically here. Okay. <laughs> all those, uh, the meeting is, special meeting is adjourned. Thank you.